0: Welcome to the History Tricks, where any resemblance to a boring old history lesson is purely coincidental. Hi, it's Susan. Beckett and I are both watching The Empress on Netflix about Empress Sissy of Austria. The Netflix synopsis calls it swoonworthy, emotional, romantic, and I agree with all of those. But is it accurate? <laughs> we both found ourselves pausing the series to look up facts that we may have been a little fuzzy on. So we thought if we're doing it, other people must be too. There's also another theatrical release about Empress Sissy called Corsage. I believe it's out in some countries in Europe already. It's coming to the United States in December, and it has a very spicy movie poster. (laughs) You can just go look it up. I'm not going to put it in the show notes because it's kind of rude. But it's also very intriguing. So we decided to take our two-part episode on Empress Sissy of Austria and combine them into one mega episode. Yeah, that should have an echo, but I don't know how to do that. Uh, (laughs) So that's what we're going to present for you this week. We do want to give you a little content warning, heads up. There is some discussion about suicide and there is the death of a child in this episode. So if you have little ears around, you might want to preview it before letting them listen. Becca and I hope that you enjoy this look back at the life of Empress Sissy of Austria. And now on with the show.
1: And here's your 30 second summary. This shy young noblewoman was plucked from obscurity and shoved onto the world stage with very little warning. She had a troublesome mother-in-law and found that the limelight was a difficult place for her to live. But her beauty and genuine concern for the common people made her into a beloved, if reluctant, icon. Her untimely death shocked the whole world. The end. Let's talk about Empress Sissy of
0: Austria. But first, let's drop her into history. In 1837, Princess Alexandrina Victoria became Queen Victoria and began her 63-year reign. Michigan was admitted as the 26th U.S. state, and Chicago became incorporated as a city. Then, just a serial novel, Charles Dickens' Oliver Twist, was first published. Candlemaker William Proctor and his brother-in-law, soap maker James Gamble, founded Procter & Gamble Company. Charles Louis Tiffany and his friend, John Young, opened a New York City stationery and fancy goods emporium. Sixteen years later, it would change its name to Tiffany & Company. Pharmacists John Lee and William Perrins began manufacturing Worcestershire sauce. King Gustav IV of Sweden, King William IV of the United Kingdom, and Queen Vilhelmina of Prussia all died. Future President Grover Cleveland Future tycoon J.P. Morgan and future showman cowboy Bill Hickok were born. And in 1837, future Empress Sissy entered the world.
1: Duchess Elizabeth Amelie Eugenie in Bavaria was born on Christmas Eve 1837, the fourth of the ten children of Duke Maximilian Joseph in Bavaria and Princess Ludovica of Bavaria. Mama's brother was the king of Bavaria. Her sister was the queen of Prussia. There's a big difference between of versus in. Is that crazy? Yes. Like of equals higher Mm rank-ish. And in is a notification that you are a member of a junior branch of a ruling family. The Wittelsbachs, that's Papa's family, had been the bosses of Bavaria since the year 1180. I mean, that's an old family. (laughs) So the fact that you're an in of a family that old uh, really means something because Mama is a daughter of the first king of Bavaria. So her family is not that ancient, at least not officially.
0: Yeah. An in or an of.
1: Yeah. So Papa... Do we want to
0: talk about Papa? Sure. Papa Max was, in a word, eccentric. He was the only child of Duke Pius Auguste and Princess Amelie Louise. He was kind of a dandy. He loved to paint and travel, write poetry plays, none of which you would have heard of unless you were a Wittelsbach scholar, of course. He composed music, and he'd later be an early adapter of the zither and help make it Bavaria's official musical instrument.
1: His eccentricity extended also to the people he hung out with. He was known to pal around with famous journalists. His best friend was the son of a tavern keeper. He was his constant companion, much to the unhappy face of Mama. <laughs> he was a toastmaster in Munich. It was like a an oratory club. And he had at that club what amounted to rap battles with his friends while playing the zither. We'll have to show you a picture of what it is. It's um like an interestingly shaped string instrument. He liked to wear his hunting costume around and not just a typical contemporary to his time hunting costume, but like national dress kind of.
0: He's <laughs> <laughs> the guy that's doing tricks while riding a horse. You know, you're like, what is that guy doing? In some ways, he sort of reminded me of your husband, just kind of living on the edge a little bit, And adrenaline. He literally
1: bit. wrote, <laughs> he reminds me of Chris Graham. I wrote this. I really did. He, he has 9 million units of magnetismo, and I was just a witness to my husband and his 9 million <laughs> u- units of magnetismo when he had to do a wedding. And like people came from every bar and restaurant in the city to help him out because he didn't have a staff. So I'm just telling you, I understand the allure of such a man. Um,
0: (laughs) So did a lot of people in their village because there were several children who bore remarkable resemblance to Papa Max.
1: Oops. (laughs) Well, yes, he did have several families. Let's just say that. Uh, He was, though, deeply interested in experiencing things. He was gone like two thirds of the time and his children could not get enough of him. No one could, except maybe his wife, though, you know, they did have 10 children. (laughs) Mama, on the other hand, wanted to stand on her dignity. She did have illustrious relations, but as I said, their official title only went back to 1805. So I feel like people who have like new money or new titles, have to defend them more than somebody who's been a member of a family who's been around for nearly a thousand years and has nothing to prove anymore. You know, mm-hmm. and she wanted to still sit at the cool kids' table. She wanted to be respected, but instead of a kindred spirit in this quest, she had to spend her time counteracting her husband's influence. <laughs> <I think. laughs> she had been uh, born into the second family of the King of Bavaria. She was a twin. Her father's favorite child, I understand, and very, very intelligent and wanted her children to have a good life and to marry well and to be integrated into the nobility of Europe.
0: Perhaps to marry better than she had. There were seven daughters in her family. So by the time it got down to Ludwika getting married, her sisters had been married to kings and the heir apparent to an emperorship of Austria. So when she got matched up with her first cousin, that's what will happen. I know. I'm like sad trombones here. I think she made the best of it. And I think that their personalities were so different that it was one of those situations where you look at the couple and you're like, how do you get along at all? Now they did. They fought some, but she possessed a lot of qualities. He didn't and vice versa. So I think that's why it worked. Also
1: that he was gone a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and that certainly helped. She had autonomy in the house. So mama strove to bring her children up in a quote proper way it was definitely an uphill battle but there was a daily routine formal breakfast for one thing with mama that is pretty rare in its own way in nobility then a schedule for the rest of the day and in town she had a good chance of imposing some order okay at the herzog max palais in town but in the summer forget it Practically speaking, any moment they could, the eight surviving children would just break out and roam about the grounds of their summer house. It was called Schloss Possenhofen.
0: And it was where Papa Max felt the most comfortable, not at court in Munich, but out in the country. And this is where the kids, Sissy especially, she was kind of his favorite. She would follow around behind him. He would take her out to festivals and she would play the tambourine while he was playing the zither. And singing songs that got bodier and bodier as the years went by. And she would collect coins that people threw. Later in her life, she said that that was the only money that she had ever earned. Hmm. I know. She was outside so much at Posse that her governess wrote in her own diary that Sissy's hair had gone from chestnut to the color of straw. Because she was outside. It got all bleached out. She was just an outside kid.
1: Well... You know, it was kind of an interesting bohemian existence. I won't say that the house was raggedy. Not exactly. But the stairs would sway back and forth if too many people went up and down. I'm like, red flag, red flag, call the inspectors. I mean, there was a colony of bats in the attics. They literally had bats in their attic. Um, But it was grand. There, It's so cool. You have to see it. There's this original castle with its moat and four towers for real. And then... All these wings of a more modern house, probably with absolutely no bathrooms, by the way. And the immediate grounds were sort of jungly and sunny because Papa would bring back these kind of whack specimen plants and hire someone to watch them. And, and there was a lake nearby. It just, can you smell the mountain air? And it was always sunny if you're a posse. That's what they called the house. And Papa, if, if he was home, you could forget everything. Mostly he was a bad influence. I mean, maybe good. I can find this picture Of when I let Jet get like all 100% muddy on the playground and his face is like full and full of joy. Right. But Smissy's mama herself was not pleased when, say, everybody came in their previously starched awesomeness, dripping filth on her floor.
0: (laughs) Talking about all the worms that they had dug up so they could go fishing with Papa. (laughs)
1: And the dogs were allowed to sit on the furniture and sleep on people's beds when Papa was home. It was just open season. I mean, you almost feel for Mama really trying to live up to her aristocratic roots and and reputation with like this element.
0: It would be hard for anyone to keep order when your father goes away to Egypt and comes back with mummies. I mean, mummies' heads and a full mummy. Or when he comes back with four little boys that he bought at a slave market. How do you even deal with that?
1: What happened to them? I mean, I know everybody wanted to play with them, but what happened to them afterward?
0: I know that they were baptized and that's all I know. Hmm. Sadly, I know. I wanted well, to find more, but now they're just a footnote in some, you know, lesser nobility story.
1: Well, weirdly, that comes up later in her life, too. There was a monastery or a nunnery. Where those sorts of small children, having been stolen from their homes, were brought up to be good pages for the nobility. It was very fashionable to have a little tiny boy, it's always boys, of color to follow you around and carry your train of your dress and that kind of thing. Uh, It's kind of alluded to in the, even in the movie, Marie Antoinette, the Duchess DuBerry has one of those servants and she doesn't treat him very well. No. Although I think in real life, she actually did treat him better, at least in the end. Anyway, it doesn't matter because he wasn't there willingly. So there you go. Ah, A little insight into slavery in Europe too now. So as the children got older, they began lessons with one Baroness Wolfen, whose diary and letters about the life behind the curtain are kind of how we know so much about Sissy's childhood. So she did have a thorough education but only if Papa wasn't around. <laughs> <laughs> she did. She studied French and English. She
0: played the piano. She loved to read and she loved to write and she loved to write poetry. She had these journals with her emo poetry from her adolescence that just it told me so much. I have some sprinkled throughout here. <laughs> so I don't want to ruin any surprises.
1: So um, Papa's favorite, as we'll call her, was a lot like him with her love of freedom and adventure. And she would ride her horse, Punch was his name, all day with Papa and was such a daring rider that Papa said, if only we weren't so high born, we could travel as a trick riding act in a circus. To which I say the grass is always greener, Mr. Full of Money. But (laughs) Um, he taught her, most importantly, to spend time with and value the common people they met? Was it servants? Was it tradespeople? The occasional woodcutter? Anyone in the village? Her half-siblings, perhaps? <laughs> yes. I don't, I don't know what you. to say about that. I don't <laughs> <know>. <laughs> so I think the common touch um, was Papa's biggest gift to her. A lot of her love of freedom, perhaps, while we would view it as a gift, didn't end up benefiting her in her later life. So... There's that. Well, Mama and Papa used to argue about how he was, quote, ruining his daughter, who, like him, really did not care about that one little bit. Who would you like better, circus papa who told you you looked like a fiery angel on horseback or mama who had people tie you to a chair so you wouldn't climb out the window and tell you to get back to your, quote, real life? Come on. Yeah, no. <laughs>
0: Even I, as an adult, would prefer to be that person.
1: <laughs> Go running off anytime she could. If she saw an out, sissy took it. At one point, mama moved into a whole different wing of the house in town to express her displeasure at Papa's behavior and existence. Um, It was a tumultuous period. Anyway, whatever. She had a project of her own to get in place, ideally, without her husband's, quote, help. He could only be a hindrance. Because there was an exciting preposition afoot. Mama's sister, Sophie, had married into the Austrian royal family. This is the biggest kid on the playground, the top of the heap, power-wise, among the Germanic states. And Aunt Sophie had a son. Yes, she did. A marriageable son, Franz Joseph, the emperor of Austria, who was of an age to need a wife. And what better place to shop than among his first cousins? I honestly, you'd be shocked at the, I'm not going to call them circles, but I'm going to call them complicated arrows (laughs) that you have on the Austrian Habsburg family tree. Well, we've talked about this before, keeping the royal blood To oneself through intermarriage. And Aunt Sophie was determined that she was going to pick some kind of get along kid, ideally a niece that she could be the boss of and who would be no trouble. I have just the daughter, wrote back Mama. And you and I both know who it is and not. My eldest, Helene, is gentle and pretty and sensible, just the thing. Dutiful. Unfortunately tall and lanky, you know, but healthy. for all of that, she'll have children, she'll have good sons. For years and years, the negotiations and um, know, propaganda had happened. and Sophie was intrigued by like a milk toast type of wife for her son for reasons we will get into a little bit later. And this niece sounded like just the ticket. After all, the cousins were complete strangers.
0: Yeah, they went on vacation together. They would have these cousins' holidays. And yes, for Sissy and her brothers and sisters, it was a time to go play with their cousins who were stair-stepped with them in age. But for the moms, it was a time for Sophie to look at what kind of children her sister Ludvika was raising. And quite honestly, she thought they were a little
1: wild. (laughs) Wonder where they got that from. (laughs) Well, finally, at 18... Everyone's like, okay, let's arrange a real meeting later in the year. So poor old Helena is thrown into what I'm calling intense Empress school. She had to learn French, which was the language of diplomacy in Europe, dancing, specifically those favored by the court of Austria, deportment, etiquette, history, family trees of the nobles she will encounter, her responsibilities and duties, the enormous sacrifices she's going to have to make personally as a public figure. Armies and (laughs) armies of milliners, dressmakers, jewelers descended on the palace for meetings and fittings. The pressure on Helena was intense, and I can't blame her for having a lot of sleepless nights. She started to get thinner and had bags and black circles under her eyes, and sissy... For one, is so happy the attention's finally off of her and her unladylike behavior. Sucks to be you. I'll be out riding the horse. And then Mama would say to her, I am never going to be able to find you a husband with your attitude. Whoopee, hooray, woohoo. You know, I don't care. Leave me here. <laughs> so the big day approached. The journey was imminent, and Mama and Helena were supposed to travel off to the Austrian Imperials family summer palace to have the couple have a look at each other and affect the betrothal, which was really a done deal. Franz Joseph, typically, since he owed his mother his crown, more on that later, was pretty amenable as far as he's concerned to whoever his mother had picked. You know, I'm not excited about this, but I know that's what one does. One produces an air, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so he's in and Helena, after all this training, is not going to, you know, punk. So it was pretty much a formality as far as everyone was concerned. And um, Helena was a big bag of nerves, though. So
0: Ludvika said, why don't we bring your sister along to help calm you down? Her presence will just make you happier. She can keep you company. She can just calm your nerves. Sissy, go pack yourself a bag. It was kind of like when I go on vacation with my son. I spend all this time laying out the clothes. This goes with that. (laughs) That goes with that. We're doing this and that and that. And that's what Helena was doing. But Sissy was like, okay, here's a dress. Here's some shoes. Here's, I guess, I'll need these gloves, shove them in a bag, just like my son packs in like three minutes
1: for a two week vacation. It's good to be them. I know. I know. It's a lot easier. And and so Sissy was excited. She's always up for adventure. She said to her, Papa, where are you going? And he's like, I don't want to go. And Mama said, you will wreck everything up by being weird. No, thank you. Not invited, frankly. And so Sissy's laughing at this little controversy and goes and throws her like underwear in a bag, whatever. Helena and mama's trunks filled a whole second carriage and she had a like a nice outfit or two because you're visiting. You don't know. And and that's it. Like, who cares what I wear? Nobody said mama cares what you wear. You're right. Let's go. (laughs) And so she did not stop talking the whole way. I thought that's why they brought her. It got to be a bit too much. And of course, the carriages
0: were being pulled by horses. One time when they stopped on their way, Sissy wanted to get the horses some water and she ended up falling into the trough. So now she's in her dress, totally soaking wet, no longer allowed in the carriage with Mama and Helena. She's out on the top of the carriage with her governess, which is probably where she wanted to be in the first place.
1: Poor old Helena was practically barfing out the side of the carriage and Mama had a horrible headache. And here's this final straw. Mm -hmm. I can be on top of the carriage. Hooray again. Now here is something I need to ask you which way this went, because you'll read in several places. I think this is the fancy famous story that they got separated from their luggage cart and had to meet the Imperial family in their dirty traveling clothes. And I think... That does seem to be a better story, but it doesn't seem to be the case because Sissy got sent back to sit in the furthest back luggage carriage. She wasn't with her mother at all. Mm -hmm. So how did they get separated from the luggage when Sissy was literally sitting on it? Well,
0: I think this is a good time to say that a lot of the stories about Empress Sissy that we all are like, oh, let's talk about her are like that one. They're not based in reality. No, they were all together. They got there a little later than that they had planned. They checked into their inn, and Sophie came running over saying, look, Franz Joseph is getting antsy. He wants to head out. Let's let's hurry up. Let's get over there. Let's get to the palace. And so they rushed over without much fanfare, but their clothes were there. They just weren't unpacked.
1: Got it. Okay. And to explain also something about that, in this town the Imperial family didn't actually have very much room. They had a little place that they had rented, uh, but like Versailles, it was very tight on space and And it was the height of the, the season and everybody had to kind of stay in a fancy hotel because there just wasn't room.
0: Which is what they had done before. They had had some cousin vacations or whatever we're calling them, cousin holidays in the same village.
1: So with that message that they had to hustle their buns or the quarry was going to fly the coop, all hands on deck, hotel staff, any maid, any hairdresser, blah, blah, blah. Everybody's got to rush in. And so the hotel staff rushed in to Sissy and made bows. They were so excited to see their future empress. And surely it's this glorious creature with the color in her cheeks and the sparkle in her eyes that was destined for their emperor. By now, Sissy's hair no longer looking like she 1980s sun end it <laughs> like it used to. Oh, anyone with dark hair who has put sun in in just remember that appearance. Not good. Um, Now it was dark auburn, almost like the darkest of reds. And it was a crown all on its own. Beautiful face, fashionable figure, very tall, strengthened, by the way, by much exercise and the self-assurance of her father's treatment of her. She thought well of herself in a healthy way. And so
0: when all these people rushed in to take care of Sissy, she just thought, this is what happens here. Okay, Mama and Sophie are like, no, get away from her. That's not who you need to take care of.
1: Here's the future Empress, Helena. Please make her beautiful. And I'm not going to say there's a sad trombone, but they're like, "Uh, oh, fair enough. Yes, indeed. Absolutely. (laughs) And so they did the best they could. But, you know, like I said, she'd been sleepless for weeks. She'd been oppressed for the last year. And Helena was sick with apprehension. She's about to meet the man who she's been told for five years is going to be her husband, her destiny. And she had better not mess it up. And they
0: were all wearing black. They were in mourning for an aunt. The plan originally had been get there, take Helena out of her black dress, put her in something beautiful to dazzle Franz Josef. But that's not what happened. And Helena's complexion looked really
1: washed out in black. The misunderstanding was embarrassing. But it did make Mama think, while the staff was cobbling Helena's look back together, that maybe Sissy needed to be out of the way for the big luncheon tomorrow. Helena and Emperor Franz Joseph had a calm little meetup downstairs, watched by both eagle-eyed mamas, which I'm sure was very awesome. (laughs) So (laughs) embarrassing. Like my son doesn't even let me meet his girlfriend at the skate park. (laughs) So, wait, his girlfriend's at the skate park. Like she's skating. Mm. I'm not sure that's where we are. I think we're we're witnessing skating. Oh, okay. Rather than being a skater, I don't. Why is the proportion of skaters so skewed masculine? Somebody tell me. I don't understand it. You know, you'll see thirty or forty skaters and scooter riders, and then maybe two. That aren't little tiny girls with their little pink scooters, you know, but like, it's really? I don't understand it. I don't, I don't know why in hmm. this modern day, why there's so few sissies on the skateboard. I hope that that's unique to this area and
0: that in other areas, it's not the case.
1: I think California is, there are a lot more female Writers, but not the percentage is not ever gonna be 5050. I don't think. Maybe we're just like programmed by nature to be risk averse in that way. Like mm. <laughs> maybe. You want me to do what on a what? No. <laughs> and so the meetup downstairs with Helena and Franz Joseph. Helena was all like, whoa, Momoa, handsome, Prince Charming, sweet <laughs> mystery of life. I last I found you. Reconciled to her new husband, we might say. as for franz joseph well if this is what his mother wanted he supposed this is how his life would be because he owed his mother a lot and he was fine
0: he had already had two other women that he was looking at and sophie was like no they won't do probably
1: because she'd been planning this for so many years so I would like to spare a moment for Franz Joseph, the, the groom-to-be, a, a quick family history. His grandpa, of course, was the emperor of Austria, and his eldest son, and heir whose name was Ferdinand, was unfortunately, for the time, grievously mentally disabled. We seem to think from here that he was uh, epileptic. But it manifested in itself in grandma seizures at inopportune times, if that makes sense. So he was all there, but just suffered from a condition that the people of his time simply didn't understand. So hope for the succession rested with the second son, Franz Joseph's papa, whose name is Franz Karl. Although He was considered a terribly dull fellow and not at all intelligent, maybe because his parents were first cousins on both sides. Mm -hmm. (sighs) He was amiable enough, but it was his position as the heir and father of the inevitable future heir that boosted up his attractiveness. So Princess Sophie of Bavaria agreed to marry him.
0: And I think the contrast between Sophie and Franz Karl was significant. You know, he wasn't very exciting. He wasn't a thrilling person to be in the room with. But Sophie, she was very intelligent, very witty, very smart, very politically motivated. So when you contrast Sophie and Franz Karl, Franz Karl looks like less of a good option to be emperor.
1: Actually, Sophie would be a good empress, but alas... Well, ideally, one day she would be the empress, and that title would make up for the disappointment of the man himself. So they were married. Franz Karl was so gobsmacked by his new wife's qualities that all he could think to do was shower her with jewels and gifts. Well, not all he could think of. Um, <laughs> They had a time. Uh, After five sad miscarriages, Sophie eventually gave birth to six children, four of whom survived to grow up. So they did get along to a certain extent. That is all I'm saying about that in this PG podcast. But um, Sophie inevitably put all of her hopes and dreams into her eldest son, which reminds me so much of Margaret Beaufort and Henry VII. Her whole being, because this is where she had the power, concentrated on getting her son groomed for his future position as emperor. And at this point, when he's a small boy, of course, it's My husband will become the emperor and then my son will. But there's no sense waiting around. We are going to groom and train him since birth for his role as future emperor. He's educated within an inch of his life with the finest tutors and the understanding of his future responsibilities. I mean, he was given a military position at the age of 13. It was no joke. He understood from the second he could understand anything that he was not necessarily a person. He was the representation of an institution. I mean, at least you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. And he had the disposition that being raised in a military style and with military influences was good. Didn't affect him negatively.
1: So in the year 1848, when our young man was approximately 18, how are we going to explain this? It Let's just say it is a season of rebellions all across Europe, particularly in all parts of the Austrian Empire. We cannot possibly go into all of the specifics because they involve territories that were other countries then that aren't now. And it just is going to be unwieldy. So we'll link you perhaps to a podcast about the history of this particular year. Let's just say little fires and big fires are burning all over the place. Is, that, is no, that that's a good way
0: to that's a good way to put it, yeah,
1: so Ferdinand, the Emperor um, with the epilepsy, was urged strongly to abdicate by his advisors, so young Franz Joseph, capable and diligent as he was, was one step closer to the top job, but wait, Archduchess Sophie, who since that is a very hard word to say, can we just call her Aunt Sophie or if you' see you Aunt Sophie? <laughs> yes, of course okay, uh, and and the top advisors to Franz Karl convinced the dad to step aside in favor of his son. I don't know what that took. It's like if Prince Charles in Britain now just randomly stepped aside and let William take it. It's it's kind of like that shocking, but
0: he had Sophie who wanted her son to sit on the throne. So I think having her influence helped him say you can skip
1: over me. So just so we are clear, Sophie gave up the sure thing of being the empress to ensure her son, who was in fact the better fitted emperor than her husband, could be the emperor instead. That is a big sacrifice that I think she sort of resented, even though it was her own fault, the rest of her life. I just want to have that ticking away in the background that she had a sure title and she gave it up for her son. So she was known as, quote, the only man at the Hofburg Palace. And it must have been so frustrating to operate only as a pop-up master and never, ever as the CEO because of her gender, mm-hmm. you know, and thus why she wanted the wife of her son, who would technically outrank her in the hierarchy, you know, to be no threat to her influence and position. That's why she wanted the milk toast in her son's marital situation. So let us travel back to that fateful lunch where Helene and Franz Joseph were supposed to cement their love over the fruit tray in front of the g- gimlet eyes of their nearest relations. Again, Oi, can we just put them in a room? Like, <laughs> just <laughs> let them talk about stuff for five minutes? No, we cannot. Sissy was told to have lunch with the companion slash governess in another room because... You are a distraction. So I don't know what happened in the other room. Uh, something funny happened. Like she got mad about something. The companion said doesn't even matter. She was not sure what was happening in this room, and she burst in to the main event. And her color was up, and her eyes were flashing. And Franz Joseph stood right up, and it was as they say in four weddings in a funeral fundability. row row. The next few days were sort of awkward. He. A locked eyes with Sissy at the kid over at the kids' table where she had to sit. Is that hilarious? I know. <laughs> His little brothers and she were at the end, like with their paper turkeys or you know, like, <laughs> they were on the dismissed end of the table and he kept locking eyes with her down there. This particular Cinderella hadn't packed for the ball to which she had now been invited by Franz Joseph. So she was kind of cobbled together as to fashion. One of Franz Joseph's younger brothers, who'd been in poppy love with her for a decade since they were little kids and had the cousin meetings, used to send her little presents like with his purple crayon. Dear sissy, I love you. Here is a necklace. You know, <laughs> <But> <laughs> Like she would write him back. They had a correspondence. I think that that was the plan. <laughs> and now here's this guy sitting at the kids table, angry that his bro was stealing his woman. <laughs> and. Aunt Sophie was taken aback that her older son had a mind of his own at all. As he said later in private, Mama, I will take Sissy or I will take no one. There will be no bride at all. And Sissy's mother was so angry that Sissy had wrecked up this carefully constructed strategy. I mean, no real word on Helena's feelings, but in public, she had to act as if nothing was wrong. Like, I have literally wasted five years of my life. No big... And no one seriously could say that Sissy had used wiles or even charm, really, or a fancy dress like she had none of the usual trickery, <laughs> you know? <laughs> they would, yeah, they would have turned the eye of an emperor. Yeah. You know, there's
0: whole historical fictions written about how Helena felt about the whole thing. And the truth is, we, like you said, we don't know, but she knew what her sister was Headed for. And so I think that also um, played into her concern for her sister, in addition to being slightly embarrassed, maybe, and mad that she'd spent all that time getting ready and this isn't what was going to happen to her, and relieved that that wasn't going to happen to her, that she wasn't going to be that person in the spotlight.
1: What a mixed bag. Four, or some say five days later, under a week, <laughs> let's just say, Franz Joseph produced a proposal. I guess at this point you say an offer.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: he went to his mom and said,
0: hey, mom, can you tell Aunt Luvica that I want to marry Sissy? It's like fifth grade. You have
1: to go through his mom. Like that old note you send in elementary school. Do you like me? Why? Or maybe <laughs> you never put no on those kind of notes if you have any level of intelligence. Well, OK, so. Hooray, I guess. This is how it's going. Oh, dear. Well, Mama sent Papa a telegram. Emperor requests
0: Sissy's hand and your consent. He remains in Echel through August.
1: We are all delighted. So Papa got in a carriage, confused, but, uh, okay. I thought it was going to go another way. And so he set off for the Summer Palace to set things in motion. (laughs) Franz Joseph could not stop lavishing his 15-year-old fiancé-slash-cousin with gifts. Branches of the family near and far sent their own valuables and letters of congratulations. Remember, she's joining the most senior power play country in the whole system, functionally. So one minute, she's running in from outside in muddy boots, stinky, with the dogs at her heels, happy, and then in the blink of an eye, in less than a week, she has to sit formally dressed in the fanciest parlor to receive noble guests from all over Europe come to offer their congratulations and put in a good word for themselves to her, a 15-year-old girl.
0: Regarding marrying him, she had actually said, I'd love him if only he weren't an emperor. So she knew going in that this is the life that she was going to have. Even though she didn't go through the Empress Academy yet, she knew.
1: Yeah, it was a bewildering turn of events. And, and of course, when you get home where you think you're going to be like, "Woo, I'm going to metaphorically take my bra off and chill. No, 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 no. This is super compressed summer school Empress Academy, you know, where you have way too much work to do in a given day and your horse might exist, but you're never going to see him. The outside exists. Never going to see that super crash course in the formality of the Austrian court, which was a 180 degree situation from anything she had ever experienced in her entire life.
0: She was even surprised that Austria was more than just Vienna. She didn't realize that the empire extended like it did. That's how much educating that her tutor, who came three times a week, had to do for her in Austrian
1: history and culture and things she just had never had to think about before. So at least, unlike Marie Antoinette, she and her future husband spoke the same language. True. It is an awful lot like Marie Antoinette, isn't it? Yes. She was not the favored one. She was playing. She was running around the wild child. Well, and Marie Antoinette, as you recall from our first episode, was sort of only there by accident because one of her sisters had died and that shuffled around everyone else's marriages and it ended up that she was the only one left and she went instead of the sister that was supposed to go. So,
0: And just like Marie Antoinette had to have her teeth fixed, remember we talked about the (laughs) early orthodontia, Sissy's teeth were all dark. It was actually one of the things that Sophie was complaining about. How can we have an empress with dark teeth? Turns out the sissy was eating a lot of blueberries and they had stained her teeth. So Franz Joseph swapped out some exotic fruits for her and told her to brush her teeth, which worked.
1: (laughs) Man. Hi, will you marry me? Brush your teeth. It's romantic. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway, Um, so, you know, do any of you have a 10th grade girl, sophomore, instead of getting invited to prom? with the senior in high school, which is very exciting. Sissy instead began her wedding journey.
0: So how did she actually feel at this time? Well, this was in Sissy's diary. Oh, swallow, lend me your wings. Take me along to far off fields. How gladly would I lose my chain? How joyfully the binding band. So she knew that she is not going to be free like a bird anymore. She was just writing her emo poetry.
1: Poor thing. I know. I just... You know, from going to a point where your mother's like, I'm never going to be able to find a husband for you and saying, woohoo, and, you know, running out the back door. This has not even been a matter of months. And unlike Marie Antoinette, both parents accompanied her and all of her siblings as far as the border. Every town along the way turned out to see Sissy off, to wish her well, to cheer and wave their flags. And Helena just sat. This really was supposed to be... Her triumphal wedding journey, she was understandably a bit chilly, I would say, but she had to go to support her sister and and keep up the public face.
0: Yeah, I'm just, I don't know. Maybe I read too much about Helene. I want to think that she was, yeah, she was embarrassed and that was her thing. But I think more she knew what her sister was going in for. You know, her sister not only was getting married, but she was going to have this life that Helene knew Sissy wasn't prepared for it.
1: That's well, what I'm- and she was gonna have to share a house with Aunt Sophie, which <laughs> all of them were like dun dun dun. If we thought Mama was a hard alec, you just wait for Aunt Sophie.
0: <laughs> in those few months, Mama got busy and putting together Sissy's Trousseau now. It included things like 17 ceremonial dresses, 14 high neck dresses, 19 summer dresses. 168 chemises, which is that white cotton
1: that goes under a dress, 168 stockings. <laughs> this thing is huge. I think it was largely paid for by her prospective husband, too.
0: And when Ludvika realized that she didn't have enough money to get all the things that she wanted to get for Sissy, she just wrote to her nephew, the emperor, and said, you know, I'm having to economize. And Franz Joseph is like, no bargain basement bride for me. And
1: he would just throw her some more money. And is like, oh, thank you. Thank you. Because that's what I thought you would do. <laughs> <laughs> so how about this for extravagance? On her trip, Franz Joseph had ordered that every single rose that existed at Schönbrunn Palace, Port Gardeners, be cut to cover the ship that was to carry Sissy at the end of her journey. So he was so excited. And Oh, golly. The surreal nature of finding yourself the center of attention, like I'm just me, old sissy. And these people seem to think I'm this other thing because, in fact, she was this other thing. Suddenly, she met some Bavarian cousins and ran to embrace them on her trip. And the collective gasp went up that she'd done something wrong. Her mother-in-law is like, people cannot think they can just touch your person. The very idea. Sorry, Aunt Sophie. No, I am not Aunt Sophie. I am the Dowager Empress of Austria to you now, and I must insist upon my dignity. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> okay. At least Franz Joseph acted natural. He couldn't even wait for the ship to dock before he he leaped over the water. And you know what? I like him for it. He leaped over the water and ran to embrace her. And I guess it's okay if the emperor touches your person. <laughs> <laughs> so eight matched white horses drew her carriage through one last crowd on the Schönbrunn Palace grounds. And I can imagine her entering the building and putting her back against the wall and saying a very bad word that she probably learned while acting as a peasant with Papa. But, psych, let's meet your household. Here's a 19-page order of precedence to memorize by tomorrow, like that um, that binder of guests at the Met Gala in Devil Wears Prada, but with higher stakes and no photographs? Hmm. And no Emily to do half of it either, Don't mess it up. And a giant script with blocking and music for tomorrow's wedding. Learn all your lines. Have a good night. Bye. (laughs) And I remember, and it's a vague memory because it's been so many years, how utterly exhausted I was on my wedding day. And you should magnify that by a million. Oh. That would be on the small end, I think. Well, possibly the only people who know how Sissy feels right now are Princess Diana, with whom Empress Sissy is often compared, and Duchess Catherine, Kate Middleton, that was. Though Kate at least had many, many years to get used to the idea of marrying into royalty, and as an adult woman made a choice. So perhaps let's just go back to Princess Diana (laughs) (laughs) as her, you know, person that might understand a bit of what she's feeling right now. But of course, they weren't born yet. There's no one to call. On April 24th, 1854,
0: 16-year-old Sissy was wearing a white wedding dress. It was embroidered with gold and silver flowers. She had a long train that continued that embroidery pattern. She had a diamond and opal crown on top of her massively coiffed hair. She climbed into a glass coach that was drawn by eight Lipizzan stallions for the 50-yard trip to the church. Because of the crowds that blocked everything, it took over an hour to go
1: 50 yards. (laughs) (laughs) So the minuscule procession (laughs) happened. The ceremony, of course. Um, No word if she, nobody expects you to get the blocking right on your wedding day. Everyone just tells you what to say and you just say, like somebody looks at you and you just say yes. Wasn't that from Four Weddings and a Funeral? Anytime anybody asks you a question, just say yes. Yes. (laughs) I think it was. That's a second Four Weddings and a Funeral. (laughs) I know. I didn't mean for that to happen. Well, there was a ball. There was a banquet. There's the obligatory appearance on the balcony. There's meeting, there's greeting, there's smiling. For someone as fundamentally, I'm not going to call her shy so much as maybe either introverted or unused to so much company. This was like torture, just torture. Everyone the next day, she thought was leering at her after her wedding night. You know, like it made her want to run away like everybody knows.
0: (laughs) Well, everybody didn't know because they didn't consummate the marriage for two nights. And on her wedding night, she was put into bed by her mother, and then Franz Joseph was led into the room by his mother, and Sissy had had enough,
1: so she pretended she was asleep. <laughs> After all that had happened, I really don't think that was all that surprising. So the new empress's wedding day stretched into a week-long event. There were dignitaries, of course, coming to pay their respects, opera and ballet command performances. There were fireworks for the populace. There were balls all over the city. Arg, arg. Like outside in the streets, though, it was a common man's holiday, like Mardi Gras without the nudity. (laughs) Although I will almost guarantee you there was the classic peeing in the streets that you'll find at Mardi Gras. So at least that was that. I've never peed in the streets at Mardi Gras. And I've been to several. I lived there. so. But I think that's a more boy person. (laughs) Oh, it's
0: definitely. Yeah, I've used the portalettes. I'm not proud, but they won't let you into the hotel.
1: (laughs) Well, um, Franz Joseph, of course, had been used to this kind of attention since birth. But even him, with the stars in his eyes at his good fortune, noticed that his new bride was drooping, I guess. And he cast about for something that would cheer her up. And he remembered how she had loved to ride. And so he uprooted his whole household to a palace he had that was nearby and just the thing. Laxenberg Palace had been Franz Joseph's favorite place as a child. So it's his posse, you know. His Possenhofen. Yes. It's surrounded by epically glorious gardens. There's meadows there full of daisies and lakes and even a reproduction medieval castle on an island, if that's your thing. And, and here's the stable, my friend, my delightful wife. Knock yourself out. Kiss, kiss upon your forehead. I I hope this helps. And it really did so very much. And for a time, a short time, she reveled in what for her must have sort of echoed her childhood freedoms and ended up constructing these, I don't even know what they're called because I'm not an equestrian, but like the jumps that horses take, like the, you know, there's stone ones and there's wooden ones and there's fake fences and little water features. And like, here she is doing horse jumps on functionally the lawn. (laughs) Uh, of her new secondary residence until Aunt Sophie decided to come put her thumb on it. She moved her household to Laxenberg Palace also and basically stood there in the doorway with an open mouth and said the following, this is undignified. What if people catch a glimpse of you? The purpose of royalty is to glitter and be otherworldly. Have we learned nothing from the revolutions of 1848? A casual monarchy leads to democracy. (gasps) And then, I know, dun, dun, dun. That's when the lightning strikes. We cannot have the empress in comfortable clothes acting like a circus performer on the front lawn. So she put a stop to all the roaming. You are to sit with visitors. You are to nod. You are to smile, rinse, repeat. Empresses do not have privacy.
0: Just two weeks after her marriage, Sissy was back in her diary writing more poetry. Oh, had I never left the path which might have led me to my freedom. Had I never vainly strayed on the broad road of vanity. I am awake and I am in prison. I see the chains that bind my hands.
1: Wow. She's not happy. Now, this is very likely where Sissy began suffering from anorexia, a malady that would dog her for the rest of her life.
0: Well, she had so little control over anything in her life. So the only thing she could control was what she ate and how she exercised and, you know, what she did for herself. That was the only thing she could control.
1: It got out of hand. I know it did. Well, Franz Josef, again, noticed that his new wife looked unhappy. He honestly, he is good and attentive and he couldn't be around any more than he was. There was a lot going on that he had to handle. And he was a very diligent monarch. I will say that about him. He tried to do a good job in every aspect, but the domestic one was not really his forte and his mother was there. And and surely, you know, let's vaguely wave in the direction of whatever, handle that, whatever it is. He just <laughs> doesn't know. And so I don't really fault him necessarily, but he decided there is something he could do that was within his power and wouldn't take very much time from his docket of work. Young company, he decided. So he tried to decide, well, do we invite her mother and sisters? Mm, easier if I get my two slightly younger brothers back and they can hang out with her. And it worked for a while. Maximilian was was so funny. And um, it was Carl that had a giant crush on her, actually. Carl. Not Ludwig had the giant crush on her from childhood and it brought him back too. That's a little problematic, but, <laughs> but he was good too. I mean, he was sad, but you know, it's a done deal. And, and so he was nice too. And it did work. And they hung out and they got to walk in the gardens and everything until Aunt Sophie, again displeased, organized an official tour of Spain and France for Maximilian while Carl was mysteriously ordered back to his military duties by his commander. And Sophie dusted her hands. That's that. Alone with her mother-in-law, again, Sissy didn't have available to her, the Smiths, as we children of the 80s did, uh, for our wallowing. (laughs) She had to make her own wallowing and wrote, classically, another poem that goes like this. I have awakened in a dungeon, my soul with iron fetters bound, fruitless my longing for that freedom which I cast off, ere this I found. So at least Sissy had a husband who loved her and wanted her to be happy. And, you know, he dug in his bag of suggestions again. I wonder if he has a jar that he keeps on a piece of paper off <laughs> and he suggested a visit to the province of Bohemia in modern day Czechia. And I was going to say Czechoslovakia. <sighs> you know, I have this test that I take online. It's, Like name the countries of Africa, name the countries of Asia. And I am the bomb in Africa and Asia. So good. But when it comes to Europe, I have a giant problem. Europe still gives me trouble because I would still say Czechoslovakia. I have a big giant classroom map from the 40s in my kitchen hanging on the wall. And here's Yugoslavia that has become Serbia, Montenegro, Croatia, Kosovo, Slovenia. North Macedonia. Like, do we know where Bosnia and Herzegovina is? Do we even know how to pronounce that? We do not. (laughs) Similarly, it took me a long time to learn the New England states, Susan. What? Because I learned on a wooden puzzle. And so as you put them in, you would say things like Nebraska, Oklahoma, but all of the chokeable New England states (laughs) were on one piece. And so I'd get there. I'd be like, Florida, that one piece. (laughs) <laughs> California
0: Connecticut, <laughs> Rhode Island, Massachusetts, Maine, and New Hampshire, right? In
1: Vermont Yep <laughs> Maine might have made it out, I'm not sure But so I never really, it took a while I mean, I wasn't an adult, but I didn't learn it as a child for that no. very reason I got confused about the middle until far too late in my life So it's okay well, anyway, anyway, back to uh, our subject at hand. Franz Joseph's in- empire contained an assortment of cultures, um, I think 11 in different recognized, you know, vaguely bordered um, societies who were still sort of chafing at Habsburg rule, and perhaps a visit to Prague would flatter both the Czechs and the Slovaks. You know, you're the first visit from the new Empress. And hooray! It's a big honor. So like Queen Elizabeth I of Britain and her constant progresses, it was thought that perhaps a ruler, especially in this Habsburg situation, needs to be seen by the people and not just on the coins. And so it was time for Sissy to be seen in the wider empire and no mother-in-law. Well, that's incentive enough. Sign me up for that trip. (laughs) So yes, cheering crowds, everyone marveling at her dazzling beauty. I see Sissy here as a shiny thing. We want independence. But hey, look at this. Woo! My cynical mind says this is the circus part of Bread and Circuses and not the fun kind from before. But there was a deeper purpose that Sissy had on this trip. Franz Joseph set aside a considerable sum for, quote, the empress's private charities. And it is money that Sissy is free to distribute in whatever way she sees fit. You have access to it, my dear. Feel free. Give it to a man on the street, whatever you want. Endow things. Not up to me. It's yours. And so in her role as empress, Sissy visited hospitals and schools and orphanages and churches and homes for the mentally ill and was able to help them directly and in person with her presence, but also donations, practical as well as inspirational help. And it gave her a giant boost. If you're going to be told you're a powerful figure, it was so nice to literally be able to see where she was making a difference you know, and the hearts and minds of the people of Bohemia warmed up to their wonderful new empress. She's generous. She's beautiful. She's everything a great lady should be. And friends, Joseph was so proud of her. And the response that she got was politically valuable to him, which sounds cold, but you know what I mean? It's good PR for the institution of the monarchy. So it was a giant bummer to him, both personally and politically, when Sissy became so sick halfway through this tour, that it was thought that she had better be sent home to recuperate and that he should go on alone. And um, so that's what they did. They parted. She went back to Vienna. And soon his mama, Aunt Sophie, sent him the reason. Sissy had become pregnant. Yay! For dynasty-minded Aunt Sophie, this was excellent news. And she immediately began micromanaging. Simple things. You know, we all know by this point that Sissy
0: loves her animals. And Aunt Sophie didn't appreciate Sissy looking at the animals all the time. She actually wrote to her son, if a woman is looking at animals, particularly in the first months, the children are apt to resemble them. It would be better if she looked at herself in the mirror.
1: How's that for micromanaging? Also, she thought perhaps Sissy had better get a portrait of her husband and regard her husband because it would be way better and would reassure everyone when the baby came out looking like her husband. Isn't that a good strategy? These old wives' tales or old empress' tales are killing me. <laughs> You're not allowed to look at a mouse because the baby will be born with fur. You're not allowed to eat a strawberry or the baby will have a red birthmark. You're not allowed to wear high heels, or the baby will be cross-eyed. I mean, what? But her husband was sufficiently alarmed to write. I guess I'm gonna like paraphrase what he wrote. Like whatever on the actual science and the parrot thing. I'm a man. What do I know? But like for an easy life, it's me on the parrots. Is that cool? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I don't know what I don't know what's happening. I'm busy. Well, anyway, one old empress's tale, which had a little more basis in fact, maybe suddenly Sissy was forbidden from riding a horse. And I do kind of see that it's not necessarily as they thought that the actual joggling around might cause a miscarriage, but as your center of gravity changes, you've got a greater chance for a fall, you know, broken bones, a concussion. Your mileage may vary. I I don't know what they even recommend these days, but I was looking at a site. I just wrote pregnant, ride horse. And they're like, you should really check with your doctor. So I guess it's still a thing, but What this led to for Sissy was an insistence that her mother-in-law had of public carriage rides to show the people the future emperor in your belly.
0: All Sissy wanted to do was be by herself. If she couldn't be with her animals, just let her be, let her read. But no, Aunt Sophie wanted her out in public. So she would just take her to one court event, one state event after another. And Sissy just knew that they were all staring at her midsection. She was uncomfortable physically, but she was uncomfortable emotionally, too.
1: So she thought she had to do what Aunt Sophie said. And it wasn't until Sissy began yakking her breakfast into every bush along the fashionable streets of Vienna. (laughs) (laughs) Hooray, morning sickness. Your one benefit that Aunt Sophie had to change the plan. So, okay, public promenades along the edge of the property by the front gates so people can still see you. Very important for the dynasty to have people know that it has continuity so people can gather to look at you. She didn't say in a zoo, but mm.
0: yeah, it certainly implied. And Sissy had realized that the staff that her new mother in law had gotten for her was devoted only to Aunt Sophie and not to Sissy. Anything that happened in her private rooms, her lady in waiting, Countess Esterhazy, reported it right back to Aunt Sophie. So there's no freedom at
1: all. Everything she does is watched. So Sissy put up with this for a few months, meekly or not meekly. I don't know. But when she began to show for real, Sissy put her foot down private strolls in the back. Okay, the doctors recommend exercise and I will do that for the health of my child. But no more will I appear in public to be gawked at. And honestly, Aunt Sophie couldn't exactly have Sissy dragged to the front gates. I mean, she could. But then what? What kind of a vision would that be for the public? (laughs) That's not what was wanted. And Aunt Sophie raged at having to do this with such an inferior specimen. Couldn't Sissy see how important this was? And so evidently she would have to think of some other plan. And the tension between Aunt Sophie and Sissy was almost intolerable. And when Franz Joseph got back from the very successful Bohemian tour, thank you very much, Sissy's first instinct, of course, was to ask for her husband's help in private that evening. But Aunt Sophie is a master strategist, and she had an ace up her sleeve. Before Sissy could complain, Aunt Sophie presented, quote, her dear children with a magnificent villa in the town where they fell in love that she had paid for with her own money and now presented it to the young couple with all of her love. Franz Joseph was delighted. And now what was Sissy going to say? Your mother made me walk by the gate. Mm. Game set match to Aunt Sophie. Sissy wasn't winning a lot of these battles at all. She won like little
0: ones. Only she didn't have to wear gloves when she ate. Who'd like to wear gloves when they ate? But that's what they did at court. So Aunt Sophie said, you don't have to wear gloves, but everybody else does. And that was the kind of victories she had, just like little piddly victories.
1: Well, so that summer, as renovations went on across the way at their new house, Aunt Sophie theoretically asked for input from her daughter-in-law as to the fittings. But curiously, the tradesmen seemed to like already have their instructions already. They were already in progress. There was a bathtub, the one bathtub in the giant house like the English had. You didn't have to bring in a tub anymore. So that actually was something that Sissy had wanted, and she did get it. So hooray, there's the yeah. one thing. Yeah, like little. These are just little victories. Well, and it's no skin off Aunt Sophie's nose. Like, I don't care. No. <laughs> Nobody's going to see it. I don't care. But one thing, the nursery was awful far from the imperial suite. Now, many books make a giant thing of that, but I have to tell you, it's not all that unusual. Nobles didn't have the babies across the hall like we do or, or co-sleeping. Oh, yeah. But it's not always right next door to grandmama's. That is true. That was a clever piece. So it's not that the nursery is far away from the parents; it's that it's curiously close to the grandma. Mm-hmm. More on that in a moment. Aunt Sophie's oppression continued on the DL and in private. And Franz Joseph either didn't notice, like a dang dong, or thought it was some sort of pregnant lady problems. I don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, he was in a, a a situation. He had. I mean, I can tell you what he should have done. But as far as he's always relied on his mother, his mother is one of his most trusted advisors in everything in his life. So he's certainly not going to cut those apron strings to side with his wife. So he's just like walking the middle of the road with blinders on.
1: I can't see you guys fighting. So you're not. Well, he was in love with Sissy. I think he would have at least run interference if he'd only known, I think. But I, until you know. he saw until he saw his mother raise her eyebrow
0: you know, in a look that he'd seen his entire life that says she's not joking. Mm. It's just a precarious position for an emperor to
1: be in. I have two words, dower house, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> what do I know? Time came for the baby to be born. And Franz Joseph was there and held her hand and freaked out at her pain. Good boy. And he kept kissing her all over her face. And the midwife did her work. Well, Aunt Sophie directed operations, you know, maids here, water here, bring this, take away that, kept a cool head and reassured her son. This is just how babies come. And I think him kissing her on the forehead. You know, I've always said kissing on the forehead means true love in a movie. And I almost think kissing on the forehead means true love in real life, too. And and he took special pains to do that. And he was so sad about what she had to go through. Like, I didn't know. Like, oh, <laughs> and you know good for him because that shows that he really loved her i don't know at last at last hooray the baby came not a son and heir as had been hoped for but a daughter and sissy said now that everything is done i don't mind how much i suffered and slipped into an exhausted sleep Aunt Sophie took a charge. The baby had to be baptized immediately. So she was christened Sophie, Frederick, Dorothea, Maria, Josepha. The first three names are identical to Aunt Sophie's. Hmm. No consultation with the mother. The grandmother names the new baby after herself. Curious. Mm Mm-hmm. She whipped the child off to be cared for near her own rooms by a series of wet nurses and servants, which is usual enough. I, again, that's that's not the unusual part. But what is unusual is Aunt Sophie restricted Sissy, the mother of the child, on the hour Sissy could see the baby. She said, this is not to be your toy, Empress Elizabeth. What? An Always the visits had to be in the presence of her mother-in-law. Sissy was never to be alone with the baby for any reason. How can I trust her with the baby when she cannot even discipline herself? So Sissy cried and begged and the worried Franz Josef consulted her doctor who was in the pay and the pocket of his mother and validated the situation. If you can believe that.
0: I can believe it. I was listening to a historical fiction with my kid in the car, with my 15-year-old son, and we got to this part, and he said, that's Sophie. She's a
1: biatch. Only he didn't say biatch. (laughs) Yes, she is something else. Well, I don't know why I keep writing FJ. Maybe because I—I did exactly the same thing.
0: FJ, FJ. I was like, well, we'll be calling him something short by then. FJ, FJ. Okay.
1: So Franz Joseph FJ FJ took Sissy home to her childhood home at Posse to cheer her up. See, he really does want the best for her, but he just. He's absolutely unaware of the gravity of what's going on, I think. And when they get back, the only way Sissy could see her daughter was to run the gauntlet of all of Aunt Sophie's beady-eyed, mocking friends who just couldn't wait to see her expression. Like, now that you're under the thumb of our friend, (laughs) ha ha, and then tell everyone about it. And the mockery was everywhere. And soon Sissy stopped going at all. She, She was 17. And she felt like she had just lost her child and lost the game. Life is over. Blarg. Also, she was pregnant again. And forget making another production number out of my stomach in front of my mother-in-law and all of her cackling friends up there. I'm not going to do it.
0: A year after baby Sophie was born on July 15th, 1856, Sissy was in labor again. Yes, maybe this is the male heir that everybody's waiting for. She's like, I'm going to have this boy child. I have to have this boy child. The same pattern happened. She gave birth to a little girl. Once again, Aunt Sophie, grandmama to this baby, took the baby and named her Gisela Louise Marie.
1: <laughs> okay, funny story about that name, Gisela. I just have to say, it's written Gisela. And as a matter of fact, you know, on the birth certificate, it does have two L's, but um, she never went by two L. And my sister, whose name is Gretchen, a German. Of a name as you can come across. Um, You know how you're in German class or Spanish class and you have to pick a German name? They wouldn't let her use Gretchen, (laughs) the throne name. So she had to pick another name that started with G. And she saw this and she said, Oh, Gisela, that's very pretty. And then the teacher started calling her Gisela. She's like, Ah, what? That's not what I signed up for. I'm going to change it. Nope. So she was Gisela all year. And that firmly stuck in my memory (laughs) that in German it's Gisela. So I saw it. I had to tell my sister. But you had to this- tell me, too, because I was saying Gisela. <laughs> well, what a weirdly specific thing yeah. have happened in my past, you know. But that name actually is a throwback, homage to a Bavarian princess of the 900s who had married Hungary's first king. It's a little reminder of Austria's long ties to Hungary, who were still rumbling about wanting independence. So there's that. So it, it did have a political reason. So gisela means pledge. So that's kind of nice. a nice little pledge from us to you, Hungary, that will always be friends. And Louise is a version of Sissy's own mother's name, Ludovica. Ludovica is Louisa, uh, anglicized. And um, she was supposed to have been this child's godmother, but had been trapped at home by a measles outbreak and asked Aunt Sophie to act as proxy. And that's all she needed to whip this child out of her daughter-in-law's hands to off to the secluded nursery that she went. After a while, and fair enough, FJ had giant affairs of state to deal with. I just want to tell you, he lived in interesting times and not in a good way. So he is not playing golf, you know, mm-hmm. he's doing stuff that is really serious. Um, so perhaps we can forgive his slowness to wake up to the unnatural state of affairs in his own family. But he became concerned after a while that Sissy never seemed to be allowed in. <laughs> it took him a while. In fact, the oldest daughter was actually talking by the time <laughs> he noticed. And he wrote his mother a polite note, having made a decision. And that's all caps, a decision. Polite note. We are removing our daughters to their own quarters. The Empress finds the stairs to your rooms physically tiring. She is not strong enough. and. Certainly, you should be relieved of the tiresome responsibilities at your age. We're going on an official trip, and when we come back, the change will occur. The following arrangements have been made. You know, he gave her every opportunity to save face with this note. But no, Aunt Sophie laid it all out. Sissy wanted to turn him against her. Sissy is horrible. Sissy is incompetent. She's ridiculous. She cannot be trusted with anything. Your daughters need the stability and upbringing that only I can provide. And so, you know what? He left her on red a few days. <laughs> <laughs> and then he laid it all out at his next opportunity. Number one, you are being a tyrant. Number two, last time I saw my daughter, she was choking on a button. So maybe less accusations of incompetence. Number three, your rooms are full of intrigue that I do not want my daughters to be exposed to. And number four, I'm certain the girls will thrive wherever the empress, their mother chooses to place them. Pow Finally, finally, her children were taken from the clutches of their grandmother. But F.J. suddenly woke up to some other simmering conflicts on the heels of this domestic one. A region in Italy that had been under Austrian control was chafing under the Austrian governors and rebellion was bubbling up and he needed to see for himself what was going on. So what he's hearing from Italy, there are people in his name they are ruling called the Hangman of Mantua, the terrible Spaniard, the hyena of Brescia. What the heck is going on out there in my name? And so as soon as he got back home, he was off to Italy. If you've ever been on back-to-back business trips, you know how it is. You just, I'm going to throw more underwear in this bag. That's what he did. His trunks were literally still in the hallway. Sissy asked to go with him. And he remembered what an advantage she'd been on that Hungary trip and how different the second half of that same trip had been without her. And the babies should come. Hello, Italy. You're the first to welcome my daughters. Yes, yes. Good plan. Now, at the last minute, though, they thought they would just take Sophie, the older one, and leave Gisela at home. They had a troubling reception. Those dudes had not paved the way well for him to show up. Austria was viewed as the oppressors of 40 some years. There'd been official violence and it wasn't good. And in their first city, someone detonated all the celebratory fireworks like in the building and it set fire to large parts of the city. That's bad. Yep. And and they destroyed a display that had been built to welcome them. Oh, uh, oh. And then when they got to Venice, crowds came to gawk at the new empress. And there was murmuring. Oh, she's very beautiful. Blah, blah, blah. But like officially no cheering. A silent parade. Oh, is that embarrassing? I mean, they're just like all this pomp and there's like nothing happening. No one came to call at all. They sat in their palace. Everyone knew they were there. No one came to say hello. No one. Then they held an event and it was very poorly attended. Anyone who could stayed away. Some of the more polite ones went ahead and came, but people stood outside and noted who came just out of politeness because they were taking the names down for the purposes of shunning anyone who came to call on the emperor. And Franz Joseph drooped. This was very bad. And Sissy determined that she was going to use her skill. Of talking to everyone to get to the bottom of this. No one here had met her husband. He had not acted against them personally. There must be something else going on. What was it? Sissy asked around. She started her campaign. She's at the theater, hardly attended. Why, she asked, are there armed guards at the theater facing the audience? Sometimes, Your Majesty, the audience does not stand when our anthem is played. Our anthem, we threaten to shoot people because they're not standing when our anthem is played. Yes, your majesty. Huh, okay, that's not good. What didn't come out in her investigations? Palazzos had been taken over by Austrian officials. People were thrown in prison for the slightest offense. Mistreatment was an epidemic, all in the emperor's name. And she went to her husband and told all the stories. Believe me, my dear, the hatred of these people cannot possibly be more intense. I'm surprised they haven't blown us up. No wonder no one cheered. And he's like, what what am I supposed to do after all these decades? I don't know. What can I possibly do? And she gave him a good piece of advice, accustomed to female advice. He listened to her. You have to show your humanity. You have to show them you're a decent man and you're on their side. And he thought about what can you do immediately and, and also in the future. And so the next day he started. So he
0: released some political prisoners and he also lowered the taxes for everyone.
1: Who doesn't like that? And he restored property that had been seized by his officials. Like, oh, no, I'm going to boot out the right people. As soon as we get to the bottom of who really owns these houses, you can have them back. We'll post a list you know, come check the list to see if your property has been restored to you because these dudes are propping up a corrupt infrastructure and I am no longer going to support this. And guess who talked like they always do? The servants in the palace ran home and told everyone how the empress had cried and had begged her husband for mercy for the people of Italy. And as Terry Pratchett says, a lie can run around the world faster than the truth can get its boots on. And I won't say it's a lie. It was maybe an exaggeration. You know, by the end, she had thrown herself at his feet and kneeled and begged and mussed her hair, and it was like a big drama. And if, if only you know, she's rending her clothing at her breast and blah blah blah. You know, it's very Italian by the, yeah. the time the telephone game had happened. And before many hours had passed, it was a brand new dawn over here. You know, the nobility. Couldn't wait to call or be in Sissy's presence at the opera. Presents poured in for little Archduchess Sophie. Sissy gave her card or a, a glove or some token to people who approached her on the street with an issue. Like, here's your pass. I'll, I'll see you at the palace. I don't know what your situation is. You have to talk to officials, but, you know, tell them I sent you or whatever. And back home, Aunt Sophie was livid. Remember, her friend, her best friend, Countess Esterhazy, traveled with the young couple and she wrote everything back. Lurid details of talking to like dirty people and everything. Ew.
0: The exact opposite um, embellishments that the Italians were doing.
1: Yes, exactly. And Of course, Aunt Sophie's position is the monarchy is to be feared. What is this liberal nonsense of caring what people thought of it? How dare her great enemy, Sissy, introduce such reforms? So the blame, as well as all the credit, was Sissy's, even though it's a conversation between husband and wife. And it's like, now it's like Sissy the demon, Sissy the angel. Right. That's just (laughs) history, man. So their travels were not sunny as they left Venice. I mean, there were some city gates that stayed barred, other places received them with silent fury, but the stress built again. But F.J. had a framework of what to do. In Milan, he did the same thing. General pardon of political prisoners, restoration of property, organized entertainments. And the disbelieving populace actually looked around in joy. Like the reign in terror seems to be over. In public appearances, the emperor and empress were met by applause. And he said, To them, if you give me another chance, I would like to send my favorite brother, Max, to serve you as my viceroy here. He is of my heart and he will be good to you. Hooray! And at least on the surface, things seemed to be mended. Certainly it was better, but was it enough to be determined? For now, though, flush with the glow of accomplishment, the imperial family headed for home. And Vienna was very proud of them both. So it was with great surprise that Sissy found a horrible pamphlet left in her rooms, a stern rebuke against our own episode one, Marie Antoinette, who through no fault of her own, as we remember, had been unable to produce an heir for France until 11 years after her wedding. Someone had found this in the Hofburg Palace archives and recycled it for Sissy's benefit. And it says, in part, the natural function of a queen is the bearing of heirs to the crown. That king who once said to his wife, Madame, we have married you in the hope you would give us sons, not advice, provided the whole world with a lesson on how to put ambitious females in their place. The destiny and true purpose of a queen, therefore, consists in safeguarding the succession. When she swerves, From this duty, she becomes a source of evil. She ought never to interfere in government affairs, which, due to the folly of her sex, cannot be entrusted to women. If the queen does not bear sons, she remains a stranger to the realm and a most dangerous alien to boot. Since she cannot hope to feel welcome, but must live under the constant dread of being returned to the place she came from, she will try to enslave the king through unnatural means to the destruction of crown, dynasty, and nation. Yikes. That's not too pointed, is it? Whoever could have left such a note? Hmm. Short list. Begins with an S and ends with an E? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that note, carefully pulled from the archives where it was once used against a teenage Marie Antoinette, upset Sissy so badly. And she started to become paranoid. Who left this? Was it a popular feeling around court. She had had two children and as many years. What more did they want? She couldn't wish upon a star and make them boys. She hated to destroy F.J. Remember, we're calling Franz Joseph F.J. Uh, she hated to destroy her husband's triumph by going to him with this in case he felt that way too. Now, I think I myself can safely say he did not Uh, His wife was 18. You know, their relationship was sure to bring decades more fruit. (laughs) Not to put too fine (laughs) a point on it. But from here, we can say if it was not dear old Aunt Sophie, it was dear old Aunt Sophie adjacent. Definitely.
0: And Cece didn't have any girlfriends like we would think somebody to talk this over with. Her world was really small. There were only 229 women and 23 men that she was even allowed to talk to because of protocols and wackadoodle traditions. And even those meetings, those were state affairs. It wasn't like in the Marie Antoinette movie where she had all her girlfriends around her all the time and they were just having play
1: days. She had nobody. So her feelings of oppression started to grow again with her tormentor in residence. And so it was perhaps perfect timing that F.J.'s advisors recommended a tour of Hungary, the breadbasket of the empire that had never really stopped agitating for a parliament and for more local power. That's what they were fighting for back in 1848. And that's what they still wanted. Well, Aunt Sophie was anti, of course. She still hated the Hungarians for all that trouble in 1848. And she objected to the plan to take both children along. You'll never catch me going to that wild land of savages. Sounds great, said Sissy. Let's go. Without you, one more reason. Outside, of course, she said nothing. <laughs> she's not a fool.
0: No, so it was all set though. She insisted on taking the children with them. It was going to be a family holiday that had worked in Italy. Meet are my family, we're all going to go
1: to your beautiful country. She was so excited at the prospect for this trip that Sissy got tutored in the Magyar language, and she made a special point to learn about the history and about food customs, and she didn't want to be unprepared. and at this point, it was more like phrase book things. But think how nice it would be for them to hear her say things or at least try to say things, even if she had a charming accent, you know, in their language. Mm -hmm. She's made the effort and that would mean a lot. So she made a point of doing that.
0: And so because of that and because Sophie hated Hungary so much, before Sissy even touched a dainty little royal toe into Hungarian soil, she loved the country, just the thought of it.
1: And Hungary did not disappoint. She found the twin cities of Buda and Pest absolutely charming. The people, too, had sissy's philosophy about this trip. All right, everyone. I mean, they didn't have a Skype call or anything, but they're like, let's (laughs) show him our humanity and possibly impress this guy and improve our relationship with him. This was personal. Unlike Italy, F.J. himself had withdrawn the reform's that his uncle, the previous king, had made. And he had also sicked Russia on them. I mean, this is actually personal. But just like during the Italy trip, he freed prisoners here. He restored property here. There were serious meetings attended in which he promised reforms. And like before, popular credit went to the civilizing influence of Queen Erzebet.
0: But they did also tour around. It wasn't always just official visits.
1: The couple went further afield to the countryside to cement the relationship. And FJ and Sissy loved talking to the common people they encountered and getting different perspectives. That's the influence of Sissy's papa here.
0: In one of these little villages, FJ came upon a cobbler and he said to him, Do you know who I am? And the cobbler said, Yes, of course, you're the king. Because in Hungary, they don't recognize him as emperor, they recognize him as the king, and Sissy was the queen. F.J. said, that's great. You know who I am. Are your neighbors happy? Sure, the cobbler said. We love everything that's happening except the things that are attached to the emperor. He's an awful, awful man. I'm paraphrasing, of course.
1: (laughs) So then you're like faced with, "Mm, do I tell him? (laughs) And F.J. decided not to. That's right. Good man. Good man. So the family, though, got some very bad news on the road. A message came that their oldest child, Sophie, they had left their children behind during the countryside trip. She was gravely ill. Some books say food poisoning. The general consensus seems to be that she had typhus. And this child, Sophie, died shortly after her parents returned to the city.
0: Sissy had held Sophie for 11 hours. There was nothing she could do. And F.J. sent a telegram to his mother, Aunt Sophie, and said, Our little one is in heaven. I don't even want to imagine what the trip back to Vienna was like. Or what the moment that Sissy actually came face to face with Aunt Sophie.
1: Yeah, the family returned to Vienna with this small coffin to which Aunt Sophie said to Sissy, Well, heaven has punished you for your arrogance. I want to punch her in the face, honestly. I know.
0: I keep thinking this over and over again. If we were covering Sophie as our main subject, she wouldn't be as evil. She would be smart and cunning. And it just kept reminding me that all of us in somebody's story is the jerk, you know?
1: Yeah, that's probably true. Although most of us would know enough not to tell someone who just lost a child that they are officially being punished by God. Oh, Oh, no question about it. No question about it. This is extreme so let's call her a flawed protagonist. Okay. <laughs> I like then that. in that case, if we ever cover her. Well, anyway, Aunt Sophie, flawed protagonist, began an active campaign, a whisper campaign against Sissy within the palace. She used to call her our eccentric little empress. It was just like dirty nicknames and like rolling of eyes, little snide, childish things she would say to erode people's respect for Sissy. Sissy's whack friendship with her hairdresser and look-alike Fanny Angerer was scrutinized. Her every move was scrutinized. She'd come into a room and it would go quiet. What might Sissy's life have been without this mother-in-law? And I think sister Helena had dodged a bullet here.
0: Oh, yes.
1: Well, so here's Helena preparing for her own happy marriage, a love match to a wealthy hereditary prince of another German principality. And Sissy was just paying and paying for that accidental meeting at dinner all those years ago, you know? Mm -hmm. And
0: Sissy's own mother and sisters came to visit her, but even they couldn't pull her out of her grief. I mean, it wasn't just grief, which is oppressive, as we know. But it was also the pressures that Sophie was putting on Sissy that just compounded. Sissy really spiraled down in a depression.
1: Sissy ate hardly anything. She existed on milk and eggs or, brace yourself, the juices of rare steak squeezed into a glass, which did not make her throw up the way it would make me throw up. She began to be obsessed with the size of her waist, which at one time reached Scarlett O'Hara proportions of 16 inches. She vanished from the public eye all of a sudden, and rumors swirled that Sissy was again expecting.
0: And actually, this time, rumors were correct, because Sissy was expecting. Being pregnant did improve her mood. It did improve her appetite just a little bit. Uh, She also indulged in any old wives tales that came her way. The last time it was girls, maybe if she did these things, could they be all that crazy to get a boy? On August 21st, 1858,
1: 20-year-old Sissy was in labor and was delivered a son. 101 cannons fired over the city of Vienna and Archduke Rudolph cemented Sissy's position as mother of the heir. F.J. could not stop carrying his son around. I think that is Hilarious! And he
0: bestowed Austria's highest honor, the collar of the Golden Fleece, which is actually like a really thick gold chain with a sheep hung from it, Brooks Brothers style, which is not a coincidence because Brooks Brothers copied this particular symbol as their own logo. He hung this big medal over poor little Rudolph's crib, saying, "Well, he could teeth on it later." <laughs>
1: Only he's princess. the one that was complaining about him choking on buttons, his older daughters choking on buttons. <laughs> and now he's going to give this guy a gold chain. Well, awesome and good, except for the boy began to waste away on the wet nurse's milk. And one of the noblewomen of the baby prince's household snuck him out every night to Sissy's room so she could feed him. So at last, someone willing to go against Aunt Sophie. For at least the baby's sake.
0: Yeah. Meanwhile, the Italian provinces were at it again. This time they had France on their side and they really wanted unification of their provinces, something that FJ hadn't given them.
1: So FJ left to handle that situation in assorted ways. And back at the ranch, Aunt Sophie seized control of all the kids. Yes, not good. Well, Sissy began traveling through Vienna as a kind of PR missionary and a patriotism missionary. She visited the sick. She visited churches, orphanages. Basically, she was the loving face of the royal house while her husband was out of the country until Aunt Sophie stopped her. That is undignified in an empress. Your appearances cause a public disturbance. Well, in other news, Sissy took up smoking, which was shocking in a lady. But I mean, come on. The (laughs) one thing that she's like, all right, everyone loves this. Everyone cheers. Everyone's happy for me to do this. I'm sure my husband would appreciate it. And her mother-in-law made her stop. Well, Sissy took to riding horses as a defense, long distances and jumping. And Sophie wrote to her son, literally on the battlefield. And he writes back to Sissy, can you just do whatever mother says? Just, I will deal with this when I get back. I can't, you know, like, I know. <laughs> right now, I don't need to hear this. He lost the war and had to give up a territory in the peace treaty. He's humiliated and he's sad and he comes home not to tranquility or or kisses or hugs, you know, we still love you, but this beehive of tattling and anger from all sides. His mother started in on him as soon as he got in the door. He hadn't even put his hat down. His wife began her side upstairs. She was So angry, Sissy was, and upset that FJ actually sided with his mother that maybe Sissy was too eccentric to have charge of their children after all, even though people that are listening, it was the seizure of her children that had upset her so badly in the first place.
0: She retreated, just like with the smoking, to things that she could control, and that would be her exercise, her smoking. She wouldn't give that up, even though FJ wanted her to. As she's exercising more and more, F.J. tried to get her to stop by saying, I hate thin women, but it didn't stop her. She was doing gymnastics, calisthenics every day. She recorded her weight and her measurements. She had a dentist installed in the palace. She started building horse hurdles in the backyard again, higher and higher. She just kept riding all day. Sissy's gilded cage just kept getting smaller and smaller.
1: And she realized that F.J. was not going to back her anymore on the issue of the children. So she told him she was going to go away. I can't go right now, my dear. Political matters are not with you by myself. Uh, uh, OK, he said, maybe one of our other palaces. I'll, I'll write to it. not here, said Sissy, out of this word redacted country, an island as far away as I can get. And she, as far away as she thought she could get, was, you know, like, spin the globe. Madeira. Where is Madeira? I mean, it's a fine wine, et cetera. But Madeira is an island off the coast of pretty much nowhere. it's It makes a triangle between Portugal and Morocco. That's how far south it is. like seven hundred miles south of Portugal. That's pretty far away. F j was in shock, but he did recognize an immovable force. <laughs> He was, I think, afraid of her lack of concern for his approval, I think. She's just like, my will will be done. You stop me and I will leave out the other door. I mean, it was it was like a just statement. Right.
0: I think he also had his finger on the pulse of the people. He knew that they weren't going to go for just this wild Hairbrained adventure from their monarch, unless there was a reason. So they drummed up a bunch of doctors to find a physical reason why
1: Sissy had to leave. They decided to say and to put about that she had, I wrote tuberculosis, but they actually said consumption. (laughs) So they let that get out and percolate through the world, and everybody latched onto that. Kings and queens all over Europe wrote with advice and sympathy and, and offers to help. And the Queen of England herself, our old friend, Queen Victoria, offered Empress Sissy her royal yacht, the Osborne. Hey, presto, FJ, I'ma borrow Vicky's boat. And she (laughs) peaced out. I mean.
0: Well, it wasn't even on Austria's nickel, the boat part. The Austrian Navy wasn't very big and it was too far away at that time to even get to her. So she had a way wasn't going to cost the country anything to get there, of course. See,
1: I thought that was a tactic because F.J. had said, I'm sorry, there's no boats available to take you to. And it looks at his notes, Madeira. Uh-huh. <laughs> so Love against it. all conventions, she had broken free and she set out and Queen Victoria had written, you should drop in on your way by, said Queen Victoria. And Sissy's like, la, 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 didn't get your tax until it was too late. Sorry. <laughs> Well, she was
0: sick, remember? She had to get back down to the sunshine and warmth to heal herself. Her and her three ladies-in-waiting, I mean, obviously, she's not traveling alone. It was a week-long cruise, although after the first few hours, the ladies-in-waiting went down below, and Sissy stayed up on deck the entire time, which is really smart. Some sources said that she got seasick, other sources said she didn't. Susan would say, if you're above deck, you're not going to get seasick because you can look at the horizon and there's fresh air in your face. Whereas the ladies in waiting were bringing up their little tea.
1: <laughs> tea cookies. But see, is that like some people just don't get seasick and some people do? Is it just a thing? Uh, uh,
0: uh-uh. uh, no. I think you, no, no. Even my dad would get seasick for the first couple of days when they got out to sea. Mm. Yeah. Then you get over it.
1: Well, I remember I used to have to sit in the very, very middle of the ferry that was going to Block Island, like the middle top, because uh-huh. that's where every that's where the fulcrum was of the spinning in every direction. So at least uh-huh. I got shaken around the least up there. Oh. <laughs> I'm still wondering how anyone ever found Block Island in the first place. Like you get on a boat and you head out into nothing for like an hour <laughs> and a half, and then you're like. Oh, how did you ever find this? Probably the same way they found Madeira. Yeah, that's probably true. How do you find anything?
0: I know. Sissy loved being out on the ocean. This is what she said. The sea is my father confessor. It restores my youth for it removes me from all that is not myself.
1: I think a lot of people feel that way about the ocean. Yes, it's their happy place. I feel like it's full of fish pee.
0: Really? Oh, no.
1: <laughs> I don't like the ocean. I don't like the sound of the ocean. I do not like the smell of the ocean. Did you see about that little kid that oh! got blown to sea off I mean off on the, the coast ho- of Greece on the little unicorn floaties I did and then they asked the captain so how was the child when you picked her up and he's like not good. <laughs> <laughs> how would you be? <laughs> All right. Well, back to not current events. (laughs) Um, Sissy had a villa in paradise now with friendly and interesting companions, a menagerie of pets, months and months of relief from the Austrian court and all of its intrigues. As it turned out, as Victoria recalled her boat for repair and couldn't come back to get her. So, oh, my short vacation turned into... (laughs) Almost half a year. Mm -hmm. But she was
0: filling her days. I mean, she was going for walks. She was reading and writing poetry. She was reading Shakespeare, playing with all those animals and just getting sunshine and just not being in the public eye. That must have been extraordinarily restorative.
1: And like a lot of us trying to finish up our Duolingo during our pandemic situation, she applied her brilliant mind to the study of languages. Now that she has free time to read books in the sun and gradually the bloom returned to her cheeks, along with a sumptuously unfashionable tan. Yes. (laughs) So eventually, after many months, Queen Victoria sent an alternate yacht. Nice to have an alternate yacht. This is
0: the Victorian Albert. This is the nicest way to travel ever, I
1: would say. Well, and so Sissy packed up her collections of coral and exotic butterflies, and it was time to go home. But what she found was a backlog of official engagements, a poisonous atmosphere of disdain for Sissy that had been pumped out all over the court, and a nearly total seizure of her children. All of the good done over the past months was just whisked away. Ugh. No, 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 said so Sissy. I am leaving. I'm done and I am not coming back. I will, I will not live like this. And FJ, who loved her, helped her to flee. And this time she went to another island a lot closer called Corfu, which I also had to look up where it is. If you see Italy as a high heeled boot, right at the tip of the boot, Stiletto, you know, (laughs) right across from that boot stiletto over to Greece, just off the coast of Greece is where Corfu is.
0: I went looking for any documentaries about Corfu and instead I stumbled upon, for me, I mean, all of the British speaking world probably knows about this one. But the Durrells in Corfu, it's a British series. It's on Amazon Prime and it's delightful. Now I want to go to Corfu too. <laughs> so bad. Well, Sissy liked it better than Madeira. She was happier there. She thought it was more, there was more to do. She could swim there. She could take her dogs to the beach and just watch the moon. She could just read for hour upon hour and work on her languages. Sign me up.
1: Well, she would walk miles every day to the point where she like broke her foot. She exhausted her companions. <laughs> her uh, weight at one point had plummeted to approximately 95 pounds. She decided she would switch it up from her keto situation and go on a raw food vegetarian Diet and visitors like her sister Helena described her as having, and I quote, puffy eyes and jangled nerves. So she might like Corfu better, but it maybe she had just had it with the disillusionment of having gone back to the court, you know. Mm-hmm. I just don't know. Corfu didn't seem to have the same restorative powers as Madeira had had.
0: No, I think you're right. I think it was psychological in Madeira. I'll go back and everything will be better. Now she knows it's not going to be better. Mm -mm. But F.J. missed her. He loves her. He's willing to indulge her things, but he still missed her. So he went down to Corfu himself to bring his wife back. And she said, no, I don't. I don't think so. And he said, please, what's it going to take? I'll tell you what, let's make a compromise. And they decided that they would go to Venice and he would have the children brought down and they could live in Venice as a family. How does that sound? Sissy thought, okay, that sounds good. Venice it is. It was,
1: (laughs) it was fine for a while. And then Sissy's own mother, Ludovica, descended on her and basically read her the riot act. You are giving your husband a real PR nightmare. Forget about me. Forget about your family, Sissy. You need to stop embarrassing yourself. You look like crap and you are acting crazy, which, my friend, with the Spock legacy on your father's side of madness, you cannot afford to encourage people to focus on.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Sissy had taken up a new hobby. She had written to anybody she knew anywhere in the world saying she wanted... Photographs of beautiful women from around the world. So she was collecting them all in scrapbooks. Can you see the eyebrow raising on Mama Ludvika when she saw these scrapbooks? She's an empress and she's making scrapbooks. It's like Pinterest.
1: You know, it was a little bit of mirror, mirror on the wall. And I think that's the part where her mother is like, Who cares who's the fairest of them all? Frankly. You're the empress. Like, you have power. Who cares if there's a girl in a harem, is how they pronounced it, somewhere that has finer eyes than you. OMG, pull yourself together. And I don't know if it was the disdain or just being like a little dog at Sissy's heels. Eventually, they did go back to Schoenbrunn Palace after a two-year absence on Sissy's part. FJ wanted another son, like a little insurance policy for his kingdom and not... That's in the not bloody likely department as far as Sissy's concerned. Well, F.J. had other fishes to fry. With the distraction of the American Civil War taking up the attention of the United States, France decided to consolidate power just south of there in Mexico. And to give the new monarchy they were setting up a sense of legitimacy, they installed F.J.'s younger brother as Emperor Maximilian. The Habsburgs had had this place for 200 years, like 15 100 to 1700 something. So it's not like completely out of the blue. Mm -hmm. When I first heard about that, I was like, what? You're just going to pull some random? (laughs) Yes, that's what you do. You know, sometimes you run out of princes and have to import one. So that's what they did. Sissy's response about Max's wife, Charlotte, soon to be Empress Carlotta. You just wait until she gets a throne. She'll realize how lucky her life was without it. Ain't
0: that the truth, says the woman who knows what happened to Carlotta.
1: So Sissy had a new obsession, adding on to the horseback riding. Now she, you know, would wear out four horses a day, adding to her exercise routine, rings, balance beams, dumbbells, calisthenics. She is doing real
0: gymnastics. She's doing handsprings. And I read once a black dress with ostrich trim.
1: So she's not in bloomers. She's dressed. She's in the Lululemon
0: of her day. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Probably made by Worth. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. Probably.
1: She began to be obsessed with her hair, her crowning glory. The reason she's in this position in the first place, as far as I'm concerned. Her knee-length hair was her pride, her joy, and her burden, I think. Oh, definitely. Every day, Sissy would sit in a chair on a sheet. And study Hungarian or Greek while her hairdresser, at this point, a nearly look-alike English woman named Fanny Angerer. You've got to see her on the Pinterest board. It is kind of shocking how much they look alike. Actually, I think Fanny's prettier, but don't tell.
0: <laughs> well, don't from tell. a distance. Yeah, she traveled with us and was her body double a lot mm-hmm. of times.
1: So Fanny would brush and wave and braid, and the maids were supposed to collect all the fallen hairs in a silver bowl and present them to Sissy. So Sissy could count them. Now, the average daily loss for every human on Earth is between 50 to 100, but they're normally not four feet long. So that looks like a lot of hair. It looks like a dust bunny under the bed in your guest bedroom. You know, it's big. (laughs) And she (laughs) started to freak out on people on a daily basis. And so Fanny, putting her hand up to the maids behind her mistress's back, came up with a plan.
0: What Fanny did was put something that was like rubber cement inside her pocket so that when she combed Sissy's hair, She'd brush the comb over this sticky substance without anybody seeing and put it back so there wasn't as many hairs in the silver bowl at the end of the sitting.
1: It was very sly, but I think she saved a lot of people's day. <laughs> yeah, including
0: her own because she would get a tongue lashing if there was too much.
1: And, you know, my husband, Chris Graham, does not really love for me to go into the commercial kitchen at all, even to walk through um, unless my hair is in a ponytail because one of my hairs... Oh, ruin up a reputation.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I kept thinking about your hair because your hair is closer to Sissy's than mine is. And how
1: long does it take to dry that, you think? Oh, I don't know. I just sleep on it wet. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I have no idea. Sissy
0: didn't do. Sissy washed her hair once every three weeks with egg yolk and cognac or brandy, depending on the source you read. I was going to try it, but then I decided... I like my shampoo, and I didn't want to put egg yolk in my hair, but there are commercially made shampoos out there with egg yolk and cognac in them as ingredients. You can buy them now. So she was on something. Then she would just walk around in her rooms until her hair dried, and that must have taken
1: forever. Oh, yeah. If it was hair washing day, cancel my appointments. I can't. You know, I'm washing my hair tonight. It was real. <laughs> in her case. So... All those eccentricities that Sissy had and the one people focused on was her close and personal friendship between herself and her hairdresser. But you know what? They spend hours a day together every day. And who do you talk to? You talk to your hairdresser. And it's not like she had this whole coterie of other teenage friends to talk to. It's about this
0: time that those portraits that we see of Empress Sissy were created. There was three paintings. One of them is the one that we all know. It was done by Franz Xavier Winterhalter, and she's wearing a fluffy white worth gown with stars all over it. She's in semi-profile and she's got diamond stars. They're really Edelweiss, but it's a flower that looks like a star all down her hair. It's stunning. And that's the portrait that if you look her up, that's the portrait that you'll see. But there were two other portraits he also painted. And those were just for the emperor's eyes only. And Sissy's hair is down. She's wearing her hair like a shawl. And she's just in a peignoir, which is really racy. But these portraits just went in Franz Joseph's office for the rest of his life.
1: So for her to sit for those portraits, I mean, she liked him at least to be able to do that. Yeah, I, I think, think so. F.J. had a dire situation on his hands. So I am glad he had something nice to look at in his office. The Prussians were agitating, provoking, and attacking Austrian interests. They wanted a fight very badly. They wanted to have a king of the mountain kind of challenge against Austria. And unfortunately, the outcome of all of these conflicts was that Austria ultimately lost its place as the number one power among the Germanic countries. It was a giant blow. This series of events actually changed the whole makeup of Europe. This is when Germany began to be a world power. When you think of Austria, do you think of anything? Maybe Mozart? coffee with oranges and chocolate in it. I mean, what do you think of? So this is when Austria's reputation as a world power began to decline. And it's a very sad legacy that FJ had. That was definitely a big blow to him and to his psyche, I think, as the caretaker of this long-standing empire to have that happen. Well, of course, Hungary raised its head again, sensing an opening here for independence. And FJ, no fool, when it came to his wife's power to charm, when she wanted to, asked her humbly to go as his representative and calm down the situation in Hungary. That is faith in her abilities. Not his mama, but his empress.
0: Not that his mama would have gone to Hungary, even if he had asked her. No. I mean, she hated Hungary. She hated everything Hungarian. The food, the people, just the name. It repulsed her.
1: Well, FJ was thinking of like a year ago, a delegation from Hungary had come to visit in Vienna and had gone to an audience with the emperor and empress. And Sissy came out in the Hungarian national dress. I mean, like elevated. Come on now. She didn't yeah. buy it off a stall in the market or anything, <laughs> yeah. but she had made the effort and she had rehearsed some speeches in their language and she looked so beautiful and the honor given to them. She walked in and the whole delegation spontaneously without looking at each other to see if this is what needed to happen all fell to their knees. Yeah. So mm-hmm. using the power of that, FJ's like, please take that power <laughs> and go to Hungary for me. Although it didn't actually work like he had expected, Sissy sided with the
0: Hungarians. She was very fond of this country. She had made friends with Hungarians. Uh, one of her ladies-in-waiting was a Hungarian who she had elevated to this position just because she enjoyed talking with her. Sissy's going in there, but she's not coming out saying, OK, they're calmed down. She's coming out saying, hey, FJ, I think you should really think about this dual monarchy. will still be the head of the country, but they'll have their own parliament.
1: Well, and you know what? She is no fool. Okay, so I show up and y'all are so happy that I'm here or whatever, but like that means to me the second I leave, you're going to be cursing the emperor again. So you guys need to tell me what's going to fix you. You know, like just be honest. I know I'm beautiful. Whatever. Hello. Thank you. But tell me what I need to tell my husband to make this situation fix itself because you can't survive on my portrait you know so what they wanted was a parliament and a constitution of their own which is what they had wanted all along one patriotic hungarian in particular one count andershi hungarian pronunciation Questionable, (laughs) acted as her advisor and fixer. He had been a rebel back in 1848, but you know, if you refused to deal with people that were rebels in 1848, you would deal with no one. So, honestly, I think he was a reasonable advocate for the people of Hungary. They were again charmed and bowled over with Empress Sissy's beauty and grace, but Sissy herself, of course, is no fool. Like Susan said, she did urge him. Show yourself to be generous and kind, and FJ did send his agreement, and the Hungarians were just joyous. And of course, this made Sissy look very, very good in their eyes. And it was in FJ's interest to calm the situation in Hungary, so he wouldn't be faced with losing the right half of his empire. Also, so he he has got to be a little more conciliatory this year, where he wouldn't have had to in the past off thousands of miles away in Mexico. Brother Maximilian was in real trouble, real trouble. He had been abandoned by the French who had put him on the throne of Mexico and he could find allies just nowhere. His wife had been traveling the courts of Europe begging for allies, but Germany was not for the French presence in Mexico. And Queen Victoria, in homage to her late husband, sided with Germany. America was just hard of war, full stop. And FJ just sent a message. He's like, I think you just have to abdicate and get out of there. I don't know how anyone can help you. And FJ sent ships to try to extract his brother from certain doom. Back in Hungary, Count Andreshi had been appointed minister president, and some good news arrived. Hungary would like to recognize their new relationship with Austria, the new, quote, partnership, by crowning F.J. and Sissy as the king and queen of Hungary. And they had a present. They wanted to present them with a castle, Castle Gödlö, and the U's are hard for my tongue, so that's as close as the U as I can get, with the compliments of the Hungarian aristocracy. And of course, they said, Yes. So, the imperial couple? arrived in Hungary and the enthusiastic crowd was chanting Elien Erzabet, Elien Erzabet, Queen Elizabeth. To whose credit did the Hungarian people give their new powers? Exactly. (laughs) You know, like they used to say, uh, President Obama used to say, I'm Michelle's husband. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm Sissy's husband. Right. (laughs) So by tradition, before a coronation, the queen, with her own fair hands, had to repair the king's traditional coronation clothing. Not, of course, being raised to have ever hold a needle at any point. (laughs) Uh, Sissy's like, okie dokie. She squinted and and did her best. And after a week, uh don't look too closely, y'all, but here you go. She handed the clothes back. I, I hope somebody fixed them. But anyway, she she herself says she did a bad job and that's fine. Her (laughs) coronation had been made by our old Gilded Age friend, Mr. Worth in Paris and was a a fabulous concoction of white and silver with a black velvet overskirt and cloak. And I love this story. Sissy let F.J. in to see how she looked and he ran over and uh, hugged her and the room erupted in cries of dismay. (laughs) As everyone sighed and put their flat irons back to heat because he had ragged up her outfit. (laughs) And they're like, see you at the ceremony, your majesty. (laughs) Like, dang it. (laughs) Why? I love that story. The coronation itself, however, was rich and formal and enthusiastically received. Sissy was just
0: under 30. It was on June 8th, 1867. And later, Crown Prince Rudolf had an essay to write for his tutors about what happened. And this is what he said. In the church, there were many magnates and officers. Then the music started. Then the primate and many Catholic and Greek bishops came in and very many other priests. Then came Papa and Mama. Mama sat down on kind of a throne and Papa went to the altar where a lot of Latin was read. That's a synopsis of the ceremony.
1: At one point, F.J. bowed deeply in front of his wife while the audience of thousands yelled, "Elian Erzabet. <laughs> Hooray. A week followed of feasts and fireworks and festivities, alliteration for Susan's benefits. Thank you. At the end of which, the royal couple were presented with caskets. And they were listed as 50,000 ducats apiece. I just couldn't tell you how much that is. But it's grand enough that when, at the advice of his wife, F.J. turned them both over to a charity for the widows and orphans of the rebels of 1848, those rebels who had fought against him personally. And the surprise and acclaim were almost overwhelming. The newspapers in Hungary called Queen Elizabeth, quote, the most captivating woman on earth. 10 days later, after they had arrived home to a Vienna that was like a happy face with a straight line about the whole thing. That Vienna, man. I know. (laughs) FJ and Sissy learned that in the heat and the dust of far off Mexico, FJ's brother, the Emperor Maximilian, had been executed by Benito Juarez's men and the new government by firing squad. He had given each member of the firing squad a gold coin to not shoot him in the head so that and I quote his mother could look upon his face after his death that is something else Mm -hmm. his wife Carlotta had gone mad with grief and had now been packed off to exile with her own family for a while, F.J. and Sissy seemed to come back together. Triumph, followed by disaster, will do that to you, unfortunately. To the point where, after all of this time, Sissy was expecting their fourth child.
0: It was only about 10 months after their coronation, so bravo for that, my... God.
1: My little souvenir. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We've talked about that before. That's funny. At last, at last, a spare for the throne, ideally. Sissy fled to their Hungarian castle. Rather than be subjected to Aunt Sophie and the chitter-chitter-chatter of Viennese gossip, and believe it or not, Aunt Sophie put about that she doubted the paternity of this new baby. Dirtbag. Yeah. Word went out that the new baby was to be called Istvan, which is um, Hungarian Stephen, basically, and Vienna was thumbs down you know what, one place you're the glorious angel, one place you're practically the devil, wouldn't you get away, you know, to an unpronounceable Gödlö Castle? Yes. With, I might add, the full support of FJ. So there you go.
0: That's true.
1: Unfortunately, Sissy did not present her husband and the Hungarian people with an Istvan.
0: On April 22nd, 1868, 30-year-old Sissy, she's just 30, <laughs> with F.J. at her side, in a Hungary, gave birth to their fourth child. And this one she got to name because it was a little girl, Marie-Valerie Matilda Amelie.
1: Hmm. And her new court in Hungary almost immediately nicknamed her Die Einzige, which means the only one. Yes, even though all the children had come with her psychologically, is that good for the older ones? I don't know. But um,
0: they were already messed up because as far as parents go, they'd answer to Aunt Sophie and their father and mom was in and out of their lives. Yeah, I think the only one probably was nothing compared to all that.
1: Well, Aunt Sophie, as far as Sissy was concerned, was never getting her mitts on this one. Never was Valerie going to breathe the poisoned air of Vienna. Like, Aunt Sophie's treacherous breath, I guess, <laughs> coming out of her face, or germs, actually. Although we're not quite to germ theory yet, Sissy on this first actual trip down Motherhood Lane was sort of helicoptery and hypochondriacal about the health of her quote only child. Yeah. I don't blame her, honestly, because if you look back, poor little Rudolph, let's just use his him as an example, was subject to Absolutely horrible treatment under his grandmama's watch in the name of toughening him up, preparing him to rule.
0: Well, Rudy was a lot different than his father. He was more gentle and he was more anxious. F.J. had taken to military education just fine. He started wearing uniforms as a child and never stopped. But for Rudy, maybe it was the teacher. He had a Count Leopold Gondercourt, who was his tutor, And this man was he was a bully. He would shut then seven year old Rudy in a game preserve and tell him that a boar was going to come and get him or shoot a gun inside the castle in Rudy's bedroom to toughen him up.
1: It got to the point where all of the unexpected ice cold baths they made him take made him scream when anybody turned on a faucet. So here you go. He's with his mother now. And now at the age of 10, he was having to be basically deprogrammed from trauma by kinder professors that his mother had insisted upon.
0: Insisted. She gave an ultimatum to her husband. She said, either gone to court goes or I do. That was when she's really stepping into her power.
1: And I'm thinking this is one of the very, very few times that Sissy... And I hate to say exerted herself because it almost seems like she's laying on a velvet chaise long, you know, taking opium all day about this. But this is one of the only times she has ever really asserted her maternal authority about the older one. Mm-hmm. Is that
0: Oh, right? yeah. No, that is absolutely right. And yeah. Gisla, she never
1: really got involved too much in her life. I don't think they had much of a relationship at all. mm well, Sissy, true to form, rode all over the 30,000 acres of her Hungarian estate, accompanied by her faithful Lancelot, Count Andresi. Um Eyebrows were raised. He gave her a present of a revolver engraved in gold with his name on it to protect her from wolves, he said. Tongues may have wagged, but in Hungary, I'm not sure people really cared, kind of, (laughs) honestly.
0: But in Vienna, they did, because Sophie's saying, doesn't Valerie bear a remarkable resemblance to Andrasi?
1: I know, like, really, with this? Mm -hmm. If F.J. doesn't think that's true, and the timing doesn't alarm him, then what business is it of yours? Also, it's the third girl. So, I mean, really, dynastically? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, it also is continuing Sophie's campaign to make sure that she's given the powers of an empress, even though she doesn't have the title, by pushing Sissy down.
1: Well, and um, historically speaking, the jury is still out, whether they were ever physically involved at all. But people have said, her contemporaries observing her at the time, that she had spent the happiest days of her life during this period at Godelo Castle. And I quote, here she was entirely her own mistress, unrestrained by court ceremony. Here she indulged in the life she loved. The Hungarians adored and worshipped her. She fully returned their affection with a heartiness, the sincerity of which was never doubted. So if she could only have just lived here. I know.
0: (laughs) Well, I think that tells you what it would have been like if Sophie wasn't in the picture. Yes. Although I will say she's 30 now. She was 15 back then. So could she have stepped into Empress shoes? I don't know. We could speculate about it for all day.
1: Yeah. So some more political maneuvering and saber rattling. FJ and Austria itself remained neutral in a decisive battle between France and Prussia that ended up in a Prussian victory. No more Prussia We're now the German Empire under Kaiser Wilhelm. It will likely be us now in Austria," said Sissy. He's, "How long is he going to let us live mm-hmm. without coming after us?" And FJ nominated Count Andreschi as his foreign minister. So if he was sleeping with Sissy, that was awfully magnanimous of him. Doesn't seem to scan. I don't know.: More
0: magnanimous. In 48, he had made Andresi a political exile. You know, he put a pony on his head. And then 18 years later, Andrasi put a crown on F.J.'s head.
1: I know. Isn't that interesting? Everybody was being very um, chess grandmastery in a positive way. Yeah. guess. Also, speaking of that, Andrasi used to have this good technique with the Hungarian parliament. They would propose something and he would send a quick note like, "Okay, we're going to do this. Uh, Is that cool? Do you have anything you want me to try to propose as a change? And F.J. would send back his note. And if he strongly objected, Count Undersea would find a way to derail or delay the legislation so that everybody felt like they were getting what they wanted. Mm -hmm. He was like supreme. I don't know. Negotiator. He was very good at his job. (laughs) Yes. So the turbulent politics of Europe had F.J. occupied to an extent that exhausts me to think about. But a personal crisis led him to send for his distant wife at last. His mother, Aunt Sophie, the nemesis of his wife, was dying.
0: 67-year-old Aunt Sophie had a brain tumor, and Sissy did go to Vienna to be with her mother-in-law. Sissy and FJ sat with Sophie for days. Sissy was at the bedside more than anybody else. Sissy was gentle and caring. This is a woman who had made her life miserable. She'd stolen her children, but she was there for her mother-in-law until her mother-in-law's last breath.
1: The last face Aunt Sophie ever saw on this earth was Elizabeth. If I'm being cynical
0: and I give Elizabeth more mean credit than I think she had, I mean, wouldn't you say, you know what, I'm going to be the last person you see? Isn't that awful? That's awful of me. (laughs) Uh, Isolation has made me mean. Oh my gosh.
1: (laughs) Here's what I think also cynically, but I think if she hadn't been there, the people of Vienna would have turned on her. Oh yeah, definitely. So I'm not sure it was more like Okay, you old witch, regard my visage on your way out the door. I think it was more like, I better be here or else tongue's will wag, you know.
0: And it gave her an excuse not to be out and about, which is what Sissy didn't like to do anyway.
1: Right. Well, speaking of that, so Sissy was free, but she sure didn't feel free. She withdrew more and more and more from society. She got kind of a persecution complex based in some fact, I'll give you that. But she said, Vienna has always misjudged me. She started to really hate when people would look at her and started to carry a fan or a parasol to block her face from the prying eye. She was convinced that everyone was talking about her behind her back, which of course, increasingly, they were. She found solace like she had many times before in her horses, although now she was riding them seven, eight hours a day. So Sissy pulled herself together for a couple of major events. First of all, the wedding of her eldest daughter, Gisela, who at 16 was marrying a second cousin, like you do. Too young, said Sissy. She's too young, as I was, and onlookers thought so too, as the 35-year-old mother of the bride, just by existing upstaged her own daughter, the bride, in every way. Luckily for Gisela, though, There was a part two of her wedding to be held in Munich, to which her parents weren't going. Um, So her glorious mama did not put in an appearance at part two, so she could be the star of her own show. And Gisela and Sissy really had no functioning relationship outside of a formal one. Mm -mm. So sad. Number two, right on the heels of the wedding, another event in Vienna, the World Exposition, which would ultimately host seven million visitors impressing all the dignitaries that she rallied herself to meet with her beauty and her grace. Gisela, only a year after her wedding, had a daughter, and she named her Elizabeth after her mother. Sissy was a grandmother at 36. For a woman with a pathological fear of aging, this title was unwelcome to her.
0: And she really upped all those eccentric beauty behaviors that she'd had. She had to give up horseback riding because she developed sciatica. So she took up fencing. (laughs) We thought the egg yolk and cognac shampoo was a little out there. She began to up her beauty rituals as well. She would put crushed strawberries on her hands and her neck and her face That actually doesn't sound bad. It would be exfoliants and antioxidants, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, She would take weekly baths in warm olive oil and daily baths in mineral water. She slept in bed clothes that were soaked in vinegar, insisting that this was going to help her lose weight. And she wore a leather mask to bed that was lined with either strawberries or raw veal. (laughs) She wore meat on her face to bed. Okay, I was first disgusted by that, but then I thought, well, there's fat in it. Maybe it worked as like a nighttime moisturizer.
1: Okay, so she's got raw meat on her face and she is wrapped in vinegar-soaked sheets and she's got strawberries on her hands and the smell is is her room full of fruit flies. I don't know. She didn't even have a pillow. She thought it was going to give her wrinkles. She's probably right on
0: that call, but
1: who cares? <laughs> That's right. She also tried a lot of different concoctions and hit on a great one that was a combination of beeswax and rose water, which unlike the other beauty treatments, probably actually smelled delicious and had her hairdresser carefully pluck out any emergent gray hairs. Now I started going gray at 26. She's 36. I could see it. And there's probably not that many. She also forbade any more photography of herself and would sit for no more paintings, no more portraits, the end. I'm going to freeze myself at this age in my beauty, and this is where I will stay forever as far as history is concerned.
0: So since her hair was longer, it was down to her ankles at this point, she was sitting in the styling chair longer and longer. I'm telling you, that fanny, she earned every single golden. I mean, she went to work every day. She insisted on being called the imperial hairdresser, which is a title I think she earned. But well, while, that's what she did. Yeah. Well, while at the Imperial Hairdresser, Sissy also continued to study Hungarian, ancient and modern Greek, French and English. And just for funsies, she translated Shakespeare into modern Greek.
1: There was a woman hired to read to her, the official reader that's her title, just like you might listen to a podcast now. I mean, maybe some of you are at the hairdresser right now, in which case, hello. (laughs) Welcome to your meta experience. But yeah, so that was actually a job in her court. I would like that, I guess. FJ suggested a family trip to the Isle of Wight. We've talked about this before off the coast of England, but at the last minute, he was trapped by official duties. And so Sissy set off with Valerie and an entourage and on the way, they stopped by the Bavarian royal palace, where the troublesome cousin, Mad King Ludwig, was providing Sissy with an alarming example of the streak of mental illness that ran through the Wittelsbach family. Sissy's mother said the whole rumor about the Wittelsbach curse was nothing but an excuse for bad behavior on the part of Sissy and her papa, and in fact, all of them. But Ludwig, man. This is the Mad King Ludwig who made the Cinderella Palace of Neuschwanstein. Surely you have had a jigsaw puzzle of it in your lifetime. So he did leave something glorious for the world, but he was a pretty recognized crackpot. His brother Otto was so scary during this trip that Elizabeth feared that he would push her down the stairs and was always very careful never to turn her back on him. Everyone has their issues, but this this visit started this reverberating refrain in Sissy's head, you know, you're mad, you're mad. She didn't love that she had this legacy and she was always watching for signs and it's kind of like, inspect what you expect, you know, and she was always attributing things to, oh, I guess that's the bad blood coming out. Oh no, that's what it is. Just inevitable. That's where it started off to England where the neighbor lady, i.e. Queen Victoria herself, the gracious hostess to (laughs) Sissy, which is confusing to me because do you remember what a sort of recluse Queen Victoria was? This is the Mrs. Brown era, if Mm -hmm. you've been watching the movies or whatnot. But one thing Queen Victoria knew about Sissy was her love of horses. So... Hunting parties were set up, expeditions to famous estates. Queen Victoria, in her private correspondence, referred to this time as, quote, that extraordinary visit by the foolish empress of Austria. Awesome. Fair enough. But while Sissy was in London, she took a special trip to Bedlam, the largest mental institution in the world. 5,000 inmates of what she and her time would have called a lunatic asylum. And she began to collect literature about mental illness, causes of, treatment for. She began to use her discretionary fund to charities that benefited mental illness. Much to the dismay of FJ, when his wife got home, that's all she could talk about. She began correspondence with experts in the field. And he asked her what she wanted for her birthday. And Sissy said, a Bengal tiger, a locket, and a fully equipped mental institution. Not likely. F.J. was just infuriated at this new obsession. Like, I've had enough. And he demanded that someone, anyone rational, find the Empress a flower show or a museum. Can we make a parade for her next time? Let's not feed this mania, please.
0: He wasn't successful because she would visit mental hospitals all over the world. You know, wherever she went, she would seek out the mental hospital. And this was a new... Uh, field of medicine at the time. And it was only about 60 years old. They weren't too far beyond locking people up and lauding them as treatments, which is really sad, man. F.J. and his part, he really did want to keep Sissy in Vienna. So he had a house for her built, a house. It was a palace called Villa Herme. It was nicknamed the Castle of Dreams. It took five years. There was a massive white marble statue of Hermes, the Greek god of wealth and good fortune. It didn't really keep Sissy in Vienna, but it became their place. Every year for the rest of their lives, they would meet up once a year at this castle of dreams. It was like their place. That is very nice. And since we're talking about FJ, he had kind of a secret, almost, relationship with his daughter, Valerie. Valerie was raised in Hungary. Hungarian was the first language she was taught. But she really wanted to speak German, like her brother and her sister and her father. And whenever Valerie would go to Vienna to visit, her papa would like give her a wink and say, you can speak German here. It's okay." And she just loved it. It It's like their secret thing, their secret language was German. I like him.
1: So F.J. and his fellow king of Belgium conspired for a young Rudolph who had just come of age to marry Princess Stephanie of Belgium. Golly, the son and father had been butting heads for years and years. The son was fond of what his father called low company. That seems like (laughs) sons and fathers through history. But more to the point, the son was fond of democratic principles which sounds fine to you and to me, but is the ultimate rebellion if your dad happens to be a monarch? Well, the father decided it was time for him to settle down and stop cavorting. Sissy was against the whole thing. Again, the girl is only 16. Everyone, take a step back again. But the inevitable machine pushed forward and poor old Princess Stephanie, who, you know what? I can't even talk about her upbringing. She'd been hammered into obedience since childhood by a father who was very disappointed that he didn't have any sons and had never made a secret of it. So yeah, not so good. Uh, She accepted her fate or hoped for better, in fact, and arrived in Austria. And of course, it was a disaster. I don't know how we expect to give all these people such horrible childhoods and then Welcome to your functioning adulthood. It's just not going to happen.
0: Right. Well, she wasn't even an adult. They had to postpone the wedding for a full year because she hadn't had her monthly cycle yet. Even though that she. That should be 13. a red flag.
1: <laughs> and
0: quite honestly, when she got to Vienna, nobody was sure if she really had had it yet or if her father was just like, let's get this going. Let's get this going. And, you know, I think another reason why Sissy wasn't keen on it because it was kind of outside the family. This wasn't a relation. Like all the other marriages were some
1: type of cousin. I think she thought it was better. Oh, you do? Yeah, I think she thought it was better. She actually had objected to Gisela's marriage. Right. On those grounds. Like y'all need some different blood in here. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so I think, I think that was actually a welcome change at last. But on the other hand, despite... Poor Princess Stephanie is just flailing at a hostile court, I think worse than Sissy had, because at least Sissy had had the upbringing where her father thought she was an angel on horseback and her father thought she was an awesome person and she had strength of character and was a little independent. And she still had a hard time. So poor old Princess Stephanie, who had been just beat down, you know, metaphorically and in reality since childhood, had no chance at all. And Sissy didn't help her her basic principle was, I'm not about to be a mother-in-law. I know about mothers-in-law and I am not that person. And this is none of my business. And I feel angry towards Sissy in a way that I, you know, I've rolled my eyes at her before, but I actually feel sort of angry right here toward her.
0: Yeah. Of anybody on the planet knew what Stephanie was going through at all, it was her. And the difference between the marriages was Rudolph agreed to this marriage, but he wasn't in love with Stephanie at all. At least FJ loved Sissy. So yeah, she should have had some more empathy and related to her, but she certainly didn't. She just kind of put her hands up.
1: Sorry. So Sissy's personality got kind of hard around now and, and her usual methodology, of course, used to be go out, get on horseback and ride away. But now, of course, sciatica, basically a horrible pinch nerve, had put an end to her horseback riding. So she switched to walking and then running for 10 hour stretches. So she's like marathon before marathon was a thing. Like,
0: Yeah. And just try finding someone to go with her. You know, she had to pick somebody to go with her. She picked these people based on their
1: stamina. But who could keep up with that? She should have done it like a stagecoach, like have people stationed a mile apart. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yes. <laughs> like they, they're in their tent with their jug of cold wine until they saw her. Then they would <laughs> get up and the next guy <laughs> drink the wine and wait for her to come back. <laughs> well, Sissy, on a more serious and sad note, began to openly talk about killing herself and FJ, after all the dramatics that he had been through in the couple of decades he'd been married to her, would not take her seriously at all. He would just say things like, better not, you'll go to hell, and not even seriously look up from his paper. She was angry. She was angry at not being taken seriously and would tell him, my life is already hell. Now, people have the right to be unhappy, Uh, you know, regardless of their circumstances. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to. Be against her feeling unhappy, but and it seems to me that Sissy was profoundly depressed. So that's like worse than unhappy in an era where you were just supposed to buck up, but it's almost like she's so spoiled. I,
0: oh, I think it was, yes, there was a lot of situational things that put her in a certain place, but I think it was chemical. When you start to have that much uh, suicidal thoughts that you are actually saying them out loud. You're in a really bad place. And I don't think you can just get there by situations. Situational meets chemical meets a really dark place.
1: Maybe if Sissy were to ask a barmaid, you know, how hard Mm -hmm. her life was. If you think about it in the abstract, FJ pretty much let her do and spend, go and see whoever she wanted. Her wish, for the most part, was her own command. Like he wasn't even micromanaging her daily life or, or travels or anything, you know, and, and for a woman in that time period, that is almost unheard of. And it still didn't make her happy. So money doesn't buy happiness. And once upon a time, her maid had said that Sissy's problem, of course she didn't say to Sissy, was that she did not have any useful thing to do and got too much attention for bad behavior. And, And maybe that's partially true.
0: I think it's just a perfect storm of situations. And she can't compare her life to a barmaid. I don't even like to get into that comparing life problems, you know, arena. But yeah, I'm going with there's a lot more chemical in there. And at the time, you know, she was doing what she could to increase her serotonin levels, even though she didn't know that's what she was doing with all the exercise and taking control of things and just trying to make herself as perfect as possible.
1: So things got worse, objectively worse. She learned that her, quote, only child, Valerie, had become engaged to a young Tuscan nobleman, otherwise unobjectionable. I mean, his family was good. His background was good. He was handsome. He was attractive to Valerie. Like, there's, you know, mm-hmm. other than being the man that was going to take Valerie away, she could find nothing against him. He was not a cousin. L-O-L-O-L. Not a cousin. This is the one that's not a cousin. I mean, they had great, 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 you know, whatever's in common. But I think by a certain point, almost everyone in Europe is going to go back to a certain number of people. <laughs> yeah. You know, She became nearly catatonic with grief. And ironically, it was actual grief that gave her sort of a reprieve from the feelings about losing Valerie to marriage because... Mad King Ludwig, if you remember that, her favorite cousin, had been killed slash found drowned, question mark, in a pond on the grounds of one of his castles where he had been kept in sort of protective custody. Anyway, sorry, Valerie, you should wait to marry. We're all in mourning now. And she was a dutiful daughter who loved her changeable mother. (laughs) And she agreed. She agreed, you know, okay, that's good. That's fair enough. So Rudolph's life was suddenly full of turmoil and scandal.
0: Rudolph and Stephanie, no surprise, their marriage was pretty non-existent. They really did drift apart. He turned to drink and other women. He did give her a terrible gift in an STD about five years into their marriage. But he took up with a 17-year-old baroness as a lover.
1: They were having a torrid semi public affair. Like people knew there wasn't even winking, you know, Mm -hmm. when at country estates, they have adjoining rooms, you know, that kind of affair. In fact, she was pregnant with his child and he wanted his marriage to Stephanie annulled so that he could marry this new woman. Stephanie had had a child, though, also named Elizabeth, because that's what one does. But There was so much trouble. I don't know if it was the STD or the birth, but she was deemed sterile and could have no more children. So Rudolph had no male heir and would not unless they dissolved his marriage. And permission was not granted.
0: F.J. insisted that his son break off the relationship that he should grow up, put on his big boy jodhpurs or whatever he's wearing and go back to his wife and his daughter. And Rudy just downright refused. He was not going to do it. And then on January 29th, 1889, Rudy and his lover both wrote suicide notes while at a hunting lodge. Rudy shot her and
1: then himself. F.J. now and always blamed himself for having caused his son's death. What are you going to do? Hindsight is twenty right. twenty. What should he have done? Sissy herself fell into the deepest pit of melancholy. And the books that I have read are nearly all extraordinarily unsympathetic about it. Like their position seems to be, oh, you wanted to cry? How about life finally gives you something to cry about? It's really harsh the way yeah. they say it. Um, and I quote one book said, she finally caught up with honest grief. I, I, it's really um, pretty cold. That is. Guess what she did? We can guess. Took off, sort of randomly, all over the world. She abandoned her genuinely grieving husband, who had done his best for her his whole life. I think, and she just embarrassed him, and she just ditched him. And I am feeling a away <laughs> about her now. I just don't even know what to say. Basically, she has placed a double burden of grief on her husband's head. She did one thing that I actually admire. It did come back to haunt her. However, they had had some actress and her husband card playing buddies. Mm-hmm. And she tasked the wife among the card playing buddies, whose name was Kati Schrott, Hey, you be his companion. Anything he needs, he's going to need to call on somebody. He might need to cry on her shoulder. Okay, thanks. Bye. (sighs) Official permission to be the sounding board was given. I'm just saying. So no crying later. Not about this anyway. And Sissy took off and pitched up on the Greek island of Corfu again and began construction of a 128-room palace, which is displacement energy if I ever saw it.
0: The palace, she called it Achilleon. It was on a cliff overlooking the sea, a gorgeous house. She just packed this place with art and gardens and she just put all of her energy into making this uh, overstuffed uh, retreat for herself.
1: It was a glorious white marble temple on a hill. Now think about when you go to the garden center and you want to buy one rose bush, and you have a little sticker shock, but you think, well... I like rose bushes. They last a long time and you dig deep and you buy two. She bought 25,000. <laughs> Money's no object for the Achilleon. And when it was done and everything was planted and the hot springs were sprung. Yes, hot springs on your property. <laughs> Sissy was done and she ordered it to be blown up. Can you see the contractor with his hat squishing it? Yes, really. Blown up. Uh, um, Okay, ma'am. <laughs> um. <laughs> Absolutely. Now that I've been paid and he looks around for dynamite and the Achilleon was saved by bureaucracy because no one would give the workmen a permit for the explosives. Thankfully, it's still
0: there. I'll put a picture of it on the show notes. It's beautiful. I don't understand why she left it. Well, it had nothing to do with how beautiful the house was, obviously, but damn.
1: I know it's so crazy. I just I couldn't believe that when she had said, "All right, blow it up. I want it to go away. I want it to be obliterated from the face of the earth."
0: I wonder now, just the way you said that, if she like looked at this house like herself, yep, and just made it just as beautiful and over the top and physically gorgeous as possible, and then she wanted to destroy it. I mean, she's still having thoughts of suicide. She said. I want to travel the world until I drown and am forgotten. So, wow, man, I
1: wonder if it would have been therapeutic. Well, but for five minutes (laughs) (laughs) and then it's, it's like, what's going to be enough destruction? I, you know, yeah. And I, I have to say the resilience of FJ amazes me. I mean, he was busy and he had lots of useful things to do. And maybe to a person like that, he didn't realize what was happening in his own house. I think he had the best of intentions.
0: Yeah. Well, and again, we talked about this earlier. The study of mental illness was still in its infancy. So here there is no way. I mean, we now from here, we're like, we can spot the signs, but uh, he couldn't.
1: Well, Sissy decided to head home, but coldly had said in a letter that And I quote, the only attraction there was was the distance, the time it took to get there. Yikes. Also, she had the crew of her ship tie her to her chair, and I quote, in case she decided to throw herself overboard, like you do.
0: She had a glass box built on the deck of her ship so she could sit out in it in the storms and just watch them. Well, that's kind of cool.
1: Yeah, that is kind of (laughs) cool.
0: You can't jump overboard from inside of a box, I suppose.
1: There's something else kind of cool that has to do with the ocean. When she was 51, Sissy got
0: a tattoo. She had an anchor tattoo on her arm. And lest you think this is just really weird. We talked about this, I think, in the Jenny Jerome Churchill episode. Tattoos were kind of a thing for women of this class during this time. So tattoos and piercings that people couldn't see. It was really risque and dangerous. So Sissy got one. But so I, you
1: I, got a tattoo? Oh. Uh, sh-
0: yes, I did. I've gotten two.
1: I'm I still don't two. have any tattoos. And if you were to see us side by side and try to choose which of us would have tattoos. Oh, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah, even if you saw us on paper. Like
1: <laughs> what we're like. Yeah, I'm I'm so not the tattoo person. Yeah, that's true. But you yeah. know Chef Chris Graham, you know chefs. I mean, and if you don't know chefs, let me just tell you, the ink is rampant in the restaurant industry. Like you're not going to find too many chefs that don't have a lot of tattoos or at least, you know, an arm full.
0: (laughs) I just have mine on my ankle and I thought about it for many, 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 many years. So it's all very meaningful and pretty. And if I stand in front of someone, they can't see it. Like if I'm walking up for communion, pastor's not seeing it until I turn sideways and then boom, there it is. (laughs) What does he do about it? I don't know not my problem. Is it bad? Like, is it no. considered not oh. bueno? Uh, there are certain Christians who think that it's a, a, and against the Bible to get tattoos. I am not one of them. I think they're great. <laughs> they're beautiful. They're such a great example of self-expression that you can have forever. And you know what Sissy and I have in common here is, you know, when you were younger and people said, what's it going to look like when you're 60? Well, for both Sissy and I,
1: it's probably going to look pretty much the same (laughs) as it does when we got it. (laughs) Well, you know what? That is a benefit. That's Yeah. Yeah. So her friend, the Hungarian Andrasi, that I can never say his name, and her sister Helena died. More loss. But Valerie's young man put his foot down. He set a date. He's like, people are dying every day and young people are getting older every day. We are going to do this. We're doing it now. (laughs) There's no more waiting. If it has to be small due to respect, that's fine. But come on now. And FJ could only respect that kind of manliness, you know, but Sissy was the specter at that feast. Let's just call it V-shaped eyebrow situation, constant weeping, exactly what you want at your wedding. Your mom to be doing. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, there's like, oh, my baby, you know, it's so big. I remember when he was so little in preschool. No, this was a whole other like, my life is over. Yeah. Well,
0: she had put so much into Valerie. That was it. That was her child that she got to raise herself. But man, she put the smothering mother.
1: But I think Valerie actually turned out pretty good. I agree. And I wonder how much that had to do with her father. So Valerie's gone and Sissy is held by no ties. And back she went to Corfu, to the non-dynamated palace, to the non-dynamate... I can't say it.
0: <laughs> I didn't even know it was
1: a word. So <laughs> To the non-destroyed palace of the Achilleon, wandering around until the inhabitants of the island they started calling her the mad empress cuz she was like a a specter that would just like appear in shadow walking around the parapets and the grounds and she said she loved the achilleon because there's a boatman down at the dock who looks like the personification of death and he rows me over to islands where i can be alone i i, I cannot tell you how punk rock she is becoming right now
0: oh, i have one of her poems She's grown up. She's matured. She's read a lot of poetry. But here's another of her poems at this time. A seagull am I, from no land I come. There is no beach that I shall call home. Bound by no destination or place, flying from wave to wave I race.
1: Well, there you go. Well, the news came on her island that her daughter Valerie was expecting a baby. And that's exciting. And it's the new generation. And Sissy answered her. I think the birth of another human being is a calamity. Geez, I mean, <laughs> there's a point at which I sort of like give up on sympathy. And I am very sorry about this. And maybe I should have passed that stage a long time ago, but I I just don't know at this point. Am I being harsh? I mean, I am being harsh. I can't walk in her shoes or whatnot, but Your daughter, who you claim to love, writes you and tells you about the most exciting news that she has ever had. And that is your answer to her in writing that she can reopen and keep looking at? Yeah. Sissy's very multifaceted. (laughs) That's all I can say. There are a lot of sides to this woman. That's for sure. On her flying visits, quote, home to Vienna, Sissy actually had the nerve to object strenuously to the budding and strengthening, let's call it friendship, between Kati Schrott. Remember, she had placed his heart in Kati Schrott's hands right, with a bow on it, and he bought Mrs. Schrott a house, you know, among other things. I'm, I'm sure there were jewels He spent time with her. He drank tea with her, which I think to F.J. was more important than the house or the Mm -hmm. money. You know, he spent time with her. He could tell her things. She would listen. She would tell him things. You know, I think after so much tumult in his married life, those restful waters of Mrs. Schrott had to be like a spa.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to put it.
1: And she's a nice lady. Right. You know. That's where we'll leave her, but she exists and she's an irritant in Sissy's saddle. The international press, who had dogged Sissy since her marriage, I think, speculation had run rife since Aunt Sophie had put rumors out into the wilderness. And I think Sissy was the initial victim of the paparazzi.
0: Oh, yeah. She would try to travel incognito. Uh, A lot of people thought that her trips were Just willy nilly on the fly, just making things up. But she actually planned them like a year in advance. And anybody associated that she brought into the plan was told not to say a word so that the word didn't get out where she was going. So she was trying, she was trying to travel as incognito as possible.
1: Well, so the the press did have a field day with any little tidbit, real or imagined, that leaked out and kind of just took their hands and crumbled like a cracker, any shred of reputation she had left or tried to. For example, her diet had gotten strange again. Many of us have gone on different diets, but she had milk day and then she had oranges day and then she had carrot day. I think like in that order. And then I think they went back milk, orange, carrot. She began to swell with starvation and malnutrition. And Sissy was infuriated that the doctors kept telling her that she needed to eat more because she thought she looked, quote, fatter and her clothing was tighter. And she began exercising more and exacerbating the condition. Her body was basically filling with water. And her husband is like, I love you. Where will this end? How long can it go on? How long can you live? The doctors wanted to give her one of the new fangled x-rays. And when she found out what it was, she put up both hands. No, no, no. No photos. Not even of my insides. So, of course, Valerie was having more children, more calamities, should we say. And Gisela's child had a baby now. So Sissy is a great grandmother at 56. And... (laughs) For someone who is very, very concerned about getting older, having a great grandchild, no matter how young of a great grandmother you are, is sort of a trigger. Oh,
0: certainly. For 10 years after Rudy's death, she really traveled as a lifestyle. She went everywhere, Egypt and Greece and Asia. Part of me, again, thinks this is her trying to self-medicate for her depression, Because planning a trip and going on it was exciting. And it brought up all those happy chemicals. And then she'd have to get the next happy chemical high. So she'd plan another trip. I don't know. Just I'm just an armchair therapist here. (laughs) Right. But in September of 1898, she and her companion were traveling. They went to Lake Geneva, Switzerland. The plan was to visit with her friend, Baroness Rothschild. It wasn't a state visit since was still avoiding
1: any of those. Actually, she was trying to get the Rothschilds to buy the uh, palace in Corfu. <laughs> nice. And they were definitely avoiding purchasing such a white elephant, a white marble elephant, as it turned <laughs> out. Yeah. Um, so they did have a nice tea and visit, etc. But Miss Rothschild did not sign on the dotted line. No. Bummer. Bummer it is so they had settled in in geneva and do some shopping look around why not she and her companions um had missed the ferry but who cares honestly this is not your typical traveler who cares what did it matter we'll catch the one tomorrow afternoon get a hotel suite or two and let's call it a night and as it turned out that was a critical decision
0: also hanging out in Geneva that particular day was a very angry man named Luigi Lucini. He was in a town on an assignment from his anarchist commander.
1: Lucini was a militant anarchist, I think we can solidly say, who loved to attend meetings of groups like the United Brethren of the World, who declared war on anyone with money, education, Power or titles. Their goal was to create chaos and make the quote common man rise to the top, regardless of how unfit they were to be in charge of even themselves. Not our problem. We just want the elites to go down. Also a member of this group, Nikolai Lenin, just saying. So Luigi had been selected during a brotherhood seance event as a man who was supposed to perform quote a great deed for the cause. He was
0: supposed to attack capitalism by stabbing someone important.
1: Anyone. Like, it made him and the seance ghost, I don't know what you call it, spirit, no, never mind. Lucchini was worried about being tracked by the police when buying a knife. So he instead sharpened a file into what amounted to an extraordinarily long stiletto. And he went out to get the papers, to read the gossip columns, to see who was available to be his victim. And he said in a letter later from prison, how I should like to kill somebody. It must be somebody great so that it gets into the newspapers.
0: Even though Sissy was traveling incognito, she wasn't going under her known name, obviously. She wasn't saying who she was. She was spotted. She was recognized. There's a paparazzi picture that was taken of her and her companion just the day before she meets
1: up with Lucini. She actually bought a very advanced music box for her grandchildren. So she must be coming around to the whole concept of grandchildren. Yeah, (laughs) they're fun to buy for. Even though... Sissy was rumbled. I mean, you know, they knew who she was in the hotel. The chief of police had actually stationed guards around the hotel. Sissy was irritated and called them all off. Please, can you take your men away? I don't need them. Nobody knows I'm here. And who cares about me? I've been gone 80% of the time for my entire reign. Nobody's going to bother with me. I am not a political person. There you go. So she called off the detectives. I'm just saying she did it herself. And I quote a philosophy she had. I am always on the march to meet my fate. Nothing can prevent me from meeting it on the day it is written that I should do so. If you put that in a movie, the studio would be like, no, two on the nose. Take that out. Right. Because on this same trip, she had told her companion that she longed for death, but feared the moment of transition. Right. I mean, I I don't know what to say about this. Well, around noon, the ladies were killing the time, idly shopping like you do in that hour or so before the ferry left, kind of just along the lake shore. And as they strolled along toward their boat, they had one of those awkward pedestrian moments where, you know, you meet someone coming the other way on the sidewalk and you do that little awkward dance. Mm -hmm. You, no, you, no, you, Luigi. For so it was, struck a blow to Sissy's chest hard enough to knock her down and fled. She had been saved from a concussion on the curb by the cushioning force of her giant braid of hair. Thank goodness for that. Passersby helped her up, and everyone thought she'd just been punched in the chest. How random. So the two women went
0: off to the boat, but as soon as Sissy boarded, she collapsed. There was no blood that was visible on the outside of her dress. But they got a deck chair and laid her down to see what was going on. Her companion opened up her shirt to just kind of release some pressure. And she saw that Sissy had been stabbed in the
1: heart. In fact, the file had gone through her chest, broken a rib, and entirely through her heart. Sissy never regained consciousness. She was pronounced dead at 4.40 p.m. on September 10th, 1898. She was 60 years old. So Sissy, Empress of Austria, is dead. And her death, violent and unexpected as it was, caused shock waves to ripple all over the world.
0: When the news reached FJ, the very first thing he said is, you do not know how much I loved that woman. Like, that's his first thought is I still loved her after all these years and all that she put me through. Yeah, Her daughter, Valerie, wrote in her own diary, quote, it has come just as she always wanted it, quick, painless, without medical treatment and without long, anxious days of worry for her loved ones. Her people knew her, that's for sure.
1: Even people that didn't know her felt like they needed to comment Uh, world leaders for some But Mark Twain himself wrote that good and unoffending lady, the Empress is killed by a madman and I am living in the midst of world history again. This murder, which will be talked of and described and painted a thousand years from now to have a personal friend of the wearer of that crown burst in at my gate in the deep dusk of the evening and say in a voice broken with tears, my God, the Empress is murdered is as if your neighbor, Anthony, should come flying in and say, Caesar is butchered. The head of the world is fallen. And this scenario reminds me so much of the death of Princess Diana. She is often compared to Princess Diana, both in her philanthropy and her loneliness in her marriage, even though she didn't have FJ. And Sissy so she did. You know, she just had mm-hmm. Prince Charles. Let's not talk about him. Princess Diana, though, in the public eye, having to live every moment as an icon of beauty and style and grace and heart and representing her country and that kind of thing, Mm -hmm. caught at last by someone who was chasing her as a symbol for his own glory, an anarchist in Sissy's case and a person trying to get a photograph in the other. All Queen Victoria said was, thank God she did not suffer her body was
0: brought back to Vienna for somebody who wasn't loved by all at the time right before her death. Suddenly she was suddenly anything negative that they had thought about her was gone. It vanished. Her legacy and almost a myth began as soon as she died. And people were just grieving.
1: The whole city was draped in black cloth. Statues of Sissy went up everywhere. And those statues were always covered in flowers brought by mourners. I I just, again, remember that Mm -hmm. gate of Buckingham Palace that was, you know, four and five feet deep in bouquets of flowers Mm -hmm. and burning candles along the sidewalk. And she just became a focus for everyone's shock and grief about maybe the turmoil in the world. This is just pre-war, you know, and everybody is feeling the tension and just like they let it all out. They just couldn't believe this had happened. She was laid to rest in the Habsburg Chapel of the Capuchin Church to a giant and completely silent crowd. As for
0: Lucini, he was caught right away. And he confessed, I say confessed, I mean bragged that, yes, he had done it. And he was sentenced to life in prison because Switzerland didn't have a death penalty. He was denied the opportunity to be a martyr, which really annoyed him. Poor guy. He did answer fan mail for 11 years and one day was thrown into solitary confinement. And the next day he was found hung by his belt.
1: As for the throne, there is another dark chapter ahead for the throne of Vienna. As F.J., after the death of Rudolf, had no more male heirs, the Habsburg throne would go laterally to a man named Franz Ferdinand, a nephew who hated Jews, hated the Serbians, wanted to remove the independence from Hungary, in general was the polar opposite of F.J., and his assassination by another anarchist in 1914 set off World War I, in which 20 million people were killed and which ended the Habsburg Empire forever. Uh, what do we say about Sissy? Um, she's the first mass media celebrity, maybe,
0: No, it's all those different facets of her part. of I'm admiring her for, you know, having the gumption to create a life on her own terms in some ways. But I just feel so badly that it seemed as if every step of that life was just made to give her the next thrill and then move on to the next one. And just trying to capture something that she couldn't ever get. She actually wrote, I've loved, I've lived, I've wandered through the world, but never reached what I strove for.
1: All right. And now it's time for media. And as usual, we will start with books. And I have two favorites of the four that I relied upon. And my ultimate favorite might be hard to get. It is a library book, in my case, published in 1937, equally kind slash hand-waving about her mental issues in a way that later books are not. It's called The Golden Fleece by Bertita Harding. And I liked this one the most because it was written very conversationally. But if you are looking for hard, um, hard truths about some things, Bertita doesn't like to go into it to such a great extent.
0: Well, it was 1937. And I agree with you completely. My note on the side of this is I like this one the best for reading. Mm -hmm. It was just, it's a really enjoyable read. It almost read like a fiction. You know, I love books, you know, nonfiction, like fiction. And that one almost read like a fiction. I think that it reads as if it were our podcast. Mm -hmm. It was very contemporary. The language. Yes, I agree. Yeah, read that one. I did get it on my Kindle for $2.50 if you are an e-reader.
1: There you go. I know. I always find that I can't read electronically. I think I need the feel of the book.
0: I was that way for a long time, but I've been reading on my Kindle, or many Kindles (laughs) for a long time. So yes, I like the feel of a book, but I had to go visit my mother. And so it was just, I had many books in this one teeny tiny device, including that one.
1: So Mm. second place in my um, pantheon of books is a book by Andrew Sinclair called Death by Fame, A Life of Elizabeth, Empress of Austria. Significantly smaller a book, but it almost seems to go into more detail, factually, you know. Mm-hmm. So I liked that one too. I did not
0: read that one. My most, on this I have written the most post-it flags, was The Lonely Empress, Elizabeth of Austria by Joan Haslip. I thought it was very detailed.
1: I also think that Joan Haslip on the back cover has the most 1950s hairdo I have ever seen.
0: (laughs) It was from 1965, the book. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't look at it. I didn't get a back cover.
1: It was a library book.
0: There was no back cover. Yeah, now I'm going to have to Google it.
1: (laughs) For a little history, if you are a fan of political wrangling, I am not. But one must sometimes get a little detail this has a lot of detail. It's called The Eagles Die by George R. Merrick, France, Joseph, Elizabeth, and their Austria. It is a weighty volume <laughs> under which you could press innumerable flowers. <laughs> so if you like dates and battles, generals and von Bismarck's, that is the book for you. Oh,
0: Definitely. But for me, it was the most times that my eyes kept drooping. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't that it was a bad book. It was just all those details about things that, you know, it was nice to know. But, you know, because it was both of them in Austria and politics and eh, not my thing. I did pick up a tiny book off of Amazon, which I don't recommend necessarily for the content, but I'm going to recommend it for the photographs. It is a translation from I think it was originally in German. So the translation is off, but it's called "Sissy Myth or Truth." It's very small, but there's a lot of photographs in it. So if you just want to flip through to look at things, I thought that was a great one for that.
1: And then curiously, another little tiny book that I got a hold of. It's part of a series called "The Royal Diaries: Elizabeth, the Princess Bride, Austria-Hungary, 1853," by Barry Denenberg, and it's strange because it only covers her childhood up to the point where she gets married. But it does have things like a family tree. It has lots of photographs, an epilogue. They did not live happily ever after. And that kind of thing. Um, And some quotes at the end. So it's a good little starter. Um, I almost wonder if that's as far as they could go without getting into sticky subjects and troubled waters.
0: I agree. It's a middle grade book, so it's for kids, so they can't go too far deep. Uh, this is a whole series. I We've recommended these books before, The Royal Diaries. I think they're great for kids to meet these women because it's a diary. You just read their diaries. And speaking of their diaries, Sissy herself has a book that was published uh, years after her death based on her journals and her diaries. Ugh, I'm going to mess this up. Das Potisch Tagbuch, And that's my worst German ever. (laughs) Um, It is on Project Gutenberg. Good luck reading it. It is in German. So I did not read it, but I know it's out there. And this particular book, in her will, she wanted the proceeds of any book that was created about her to go to charity. And it was going to charity until at least the early 2000s. Wow. Sales, yeah. Sales of this book. The last group that it
1: was going to was political dissenters in Austria. There was sort of an irony to that, actually. So there I is. Would, yeah.
0: <laughs> it was an arts program. It was an arts program in Budapest. Yeah. It, that was from 2009 that I could find that. I couldn't find anything after that. And I couldn't find it for sale, but it is on the German version of Project Gutenberg. So we'll link you up to that.
1: Now you can find depending on the day and how diligent the takedown people have been, portions or most of both major movie works about Sissy. First, the 1955 trilogy starring Romy Schneider. Favorite scene is when FJ surprises her at the beginning of their marriage with Bavarian food, including a giant stein of beer.
0: Oh, yeah. Beer. They kept saying beer, beer, beer.
1: <laughs> I put that. That's funny. I put that on the show notes, that particular scene. Yeah, it's very funny. And then um, so there's that. And that's, you know, six hours of, of commitment. And sometimes you can find it on Canopy, K-A-N as in Nancy, O-P-Y, which is kind of like Libby for movies. Um, Libby from your library. So you might check and see if your library system has it. It really depends on, on who's bought the rights to it. you know. So I can't even tell you if your library has it or not. There is also a 2009 Italian movie starring Christiana Capotandi. And that girl looks so much like I imagine Sissy to look. I have to say, just still photographs of her. I've got a whole bunch of them in the Pinterest board. She looks so much like Sissy. Okay, so the Romy Schneider trilogy has her spelled S-I-S-S-I, and then the 2009 is the correct S-I-S-I. Also online, I would like, like, I don't know, to link you to a history of anarchists as mm-hmm. a movement. And also, <laughs> there is on the thecourtjeweler.com an article about Sissy's Diamond Stars, her edelweiss that she wore in her hair in several of her famous portraits and photographs and became the fashion for royal women, including Queen Alexandra of England, all over Europe. Um, everybody wanted Diamond Star suddenly because the fashion maven had declared that they were de rigueur. So that's about them. And then also the fan club of a Canadian animated TV series called Princess Sissy. All of the palace's... You can pretty much guarantee you've got tour-type situations. The Achilleon is open for tours. Schloss Possenhofen, I can't say it, is (laughs) Schloss Possenhofen, Posse, you Mm -hmm. can see why they called it that, is open for tours. Gödel in Hungary is open. The Hofburg, of course, of course, Schönbrunn Palace. You get a twofer with regard to uh, Marie Antoinette there. And also, I'm not
0: even going to try to pronounce it, the Imperial Crypts in Vienna are someplace you can go to and see 150 Habsburgs that were buried there since the 1600s. Well, you can't actually see them. You'll see their crypt. It's really cool. You know, the um, the Hofburg has an excellent virtual tour. So since nobody can go anywhere, definitely go check that one out because you can just tour through the palace.
1: And since we are recording this... On August 31st, the anniversary of Princess Diana's own death in Paris so many years ago in the 90s, and so many people compare Sissy to Diana, I will link you to a town and country series on um, Princess Diana and her life in pictures. And how she affected the world. And then Vanity Fair a few years ago did a chart comparing Princess Sissy's life to the life of Princess Diana. So I will provide you with links to that. Excellent. I don't really have anything else. And in closing, a historian named Emil Niederhauser summed up the life of the Empress Elizabeth. Her tragedy was that, for 44 years, she was a ruler of a great European power, but also a partisan of republicanism. She made a love match, but was unhappy all her life because of it. She was expected to fill the role of mother of her peoples, but she could not even be a mother to her own children. She wanted to be emancipated, as far as the times would allow, but her position made that impossible. She was attracted to many of the ways of a new world, but everybody saw in her the representative of the old ways. Her many good qualities were senselessly wasted. And then her tragic end. Perhaps this is why, in spite of all criticism, this modern woman on a very ancient and dilapidated throne is somehow and forever a winning personality. Thanks for listening. Bye! If you liked what you heard today, please tell a few friends about us or leave a review for us on iTunes. Check out the Pinterest board for Empress Sissy, if you like, or any number of our previous subjects and follow the many rabbit holes you will find there. The songs in the middle are Hungarian Holiday by Fernwood and Hypnotized by the Proper Authorities. And the song at the end is She is Looking for Something by Lynx and Janover. It's longer than I usually have the songs, but it really fit my mood today. So I have left the whole thing on there. It's about five minutes long, and there is a little goof at the end if you want to listen to it. See you next time. Do to say gudle? Gudle. Is that You right? did good, yeah. I did good. <laughs>